Brad Pitt's bigger break. Sandler gets serious, and Disney's gonna wreck it this week on 30 Hello, everyone, and welcome to 302010, our, let's call this the Halloween wrap-up area, because, man, I cannot believe how fast Christmas comes the second the jack-o'-lanterns go out. Holy Lord, welcome to 302010, the Laser Time Network's weekly pop culture time machine, taking you on a pop culture journey between and across three decades from one singular week, this week being from when we're recording, October 28th through November 3rd in 1992-2002 and uh, 2012. Uh, I gotta say, before I introduce my co-hosts, I had one of those, like, Oh, this was the movie I was thinking about, Revelations, that I had pegged totally wrong with the wrong actors. And I was, it's flabbergasting that your brain can do that in the internet age. And hopefully you'll get something like that too. We'll bring up something that uh, you vaguely remember, something you remembered fondly and had forgotten about, or something you did uh, around like a birthday or a divorce, let's say. (laughs) Anyway, I'm Chris Antista. Who else is with us? I'm Diana Goodman. And don't stop thinking about tomorrow. Don't stop. It'll soon be here. Ooh. It'll be here better than before. And yesterday's gone. Perfect. Yesterday's gone. gone. All right. Thank you, William Shatner, for that rendition. <laughs> and I'm J.R. Rawls. And I uh, thought JFK was a macho womanizing stud who conquered the moon. <laughs> no, there's so much to talk about here. And I really hate all the holiday. I'm a big fan of Christmas, just not a fan of this soon after Halloween, this Christmas crap squeaking in and ruining our 30 2010 this is the halloween episode why let's begin as we always do with 1992 october 28th through november 3rd and the catholic church reinstates (laughs) how do you i don't know if i said his first name galileo 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 galilei after 359 years nice yeah you know (laughs) uh the church bureaucracy works slowly but it keeps grinding along Baby, it keeps on going so yeah yeah galileo got in trouble um it's actually a more complex story than the fairly simplistic view that is often presented he uh said that the earth revolved around the sun not the other way around and at first the church was actually okay that's an interesting theory and then he kind of went a little too far a little too fast and then they went no 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 now you're overstepping church boundaries and that's when he got in trouble not when he first proposed the theory. Sort of makes you wonder, conservative religious people, was it that they like, man, don't make us think about anything else or rewrite history books? God damn it. They're just saying, no, God created man to rule over the dominion of earth and all the animals. And so why would he make us orbit something else? Clearly, he put the sun in the sky to orbit us. Doesn't it seem seem like conservative religious people have a lifelong history of not processing new information well? And then blaming God for it. Anywho. God, God invented trans people and evolution. Yes. There. It's, we there agree. We're done. There you go. And and abortion. Yeah. All the tools yeah. we use to do it. Um, invented it. Yep. And he, can give it, he gave us the tools to fix global warming. Do that too. But if you don't want to do anything, or anyway, moving on. Texas billionaire Ross Perot acquires blocks of TV time for his presidential campaign. And did we talk about this yet, or is this finally when we talk about it? This, this is, is finally, finally when we talk about it. The week of the election. Right. I mean, yeah, yeah. It was pretty insane. I remember it happening, and people were like, can he do that? 
and the networks are a private enterprise and he wrote a big enough check that yep he could sure do that and this is again you know back in the monoculture it was like do you want to he took away millions of people's whatever they were watching you gonna watch me for half an hour (laughs) let let me hear what i have to say it's so super villainy it's like super villainous. It's it, it, but but really all it is is just capitalism working. And it overtook all, like was it it wasn't every channel did like Fox abstained or one of them abstained. Fox abstained. But like the three networks like totally took and do you know how much that cost? I think they, like last I remembered like just a figure that it was like $700,000 for an ad on Big Bang Theory. This dude did this on three separate network channels when there were way more people watching. <laughs> Holy shit! Took it over, Mister Burns style, to preach his message out, and I remember had to watch it. And my, I think, my, I think you're right because what I remember about it is like it was being reported on. I'm not reading the news, but everybody was like, "This isn't really going to happen, is it?" And people kind of tuned in to see if it, and watched to see if it was going to happen and what it would look like. Yeah, and he's just standing there. He's got like little graphs, and he's talking about how NAFTA is bad, and that's it. I mean, it's just it's just a political ad. It's just kind of stretched out for a while with this guy talking. Yeah, I remember talking about it the next day in school, and we were all like, so that happened. Yeah, and, and that that is quite the Hail, Hail Mary, by the way, at this this quick on the wire, this 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 down to the wire, putting yeah. spending this kind of money. This election was one of those elections, like the one we're going to talk about soon, where you really had to be a diehard true believer to look at the polls and go, well obviously anyone but Clinton Clinton is going to win. And if you thought Ross Perot looking at the polls in November of 92 had a chance to win, you were utterly delusional. The math didn't work out at all. And yet still did the best of any third party candidate in the modern era. He, he pulled 20 million votes. Wow. That's 19%. Yeah, but, but zero electoral vote. Because our is system you- is dumb. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, electoral votes. Uh, Clinton absolutely crushed Bush. And uh, yeah, up until the last election, this last election we had in 2020, that was the last time, you know, someone lost a re-election. Yeah. They the, were just the, cruising this whole time. I'm not sure I agree that he did the best in the modern era because Strom Thurmond oh, won electoral that's votes. That's true. <laughs> so, you know, he's on the map of any election in U.S. history because he got electoral votes. Ross Perot doesn't ever appear in any map. Nope. And I, That's true. But, you know, in a look at things to come, Georgia flipped blue, Pennsylvania flipped blue, Wisconsin stay blue. Yeah. Stop acting surprised, people. Yeah. There's black people there. Mm-hmm. And they're sick of your shit. Yes. And people whose religion don't tell them what doctors are. It's time to talk about the movies of, <laughs> of 1992, October 28th through November 3rd. Under Siege is still number one. That's astonishing. <laughs> that is a yeah. bona fide smash uh, under siege for fuck's sake. So let's move on from that into something I really don't want to talk that much about, even though I do. Mm-hmm. I think a long time ago, and I don't remember if we edited it out, I saw a movie on 302010's list. I'm like, I saw that a billion times on Comedy Central and HBO. I don't need to go see Tom Hanks and Shelley Duvall in The Money Pit. And I described Shelley the Long. Shelley Long, Shelley Duvall, uh, the Money Pit, and I described it to you guys, and I think both you and Sarah are like that's not what happens. You were, you were correct <laughs> because I had like not only like a Mandela effect, I'd put all of their faces on these actors, and <laughs> I went looking at this dumb movie we shouldn't be talking about for more than a sentence, but the cast is amazing: Chaz Palminteri, Dabney Coleman, Jonathan Banks, Mike from Breaking Bad, 
in Better Call Saul <laughs> playing the Lothario, the seducer. Harris Eulin, um, who you may remember, he was recently on, what was it, Ozarks. He's the, he was the old guy who lived with the family in Ozarks. Doing what I could only call dumb Brando. He's playing <laughs> a mixture of Mongo and Brand. It's one of the craziest performers I've ever seen. Mary Groth, Judith Eide, Rhea Perlman, Hector Elizondo, Catherine O'Hara, and Jeff Daniels. And a shitload of other great character actors in a comedy that I think this week made $11,000 at the box office. It, nobody yeah. saw this, and but I have seen this somehow multiple times through cable airings just because it's about crooks and nice people racing to get to money buried in a house. And it, it is the movie that ended with the money had turned to sludge. Everything was for naught. Everybody goes to jail. Everybody's getting divorced. And then gold starts coming out when Jeff Daniels and Catherine Hare figure out they're in love. It's not worth watching. It's the, it's one of the only things I paid to rent in, in standard definition because it's the only way you can see it. Uh, it's forgotten. Let's keep it that way. But if you're like me, holy shit, did I see this movie a bunch. There Goes yeah, the Neighborhood I, is the name of the movie, by the way. Uh, yeah, I'd never even heard of There Goes the Neighborhood. And it's one of two movies in 1992 that's like, I don't think you can get this now. Yeah. I don't know if it went past VHS, damn it. Yeah, I, I don't think, whatever digital copy you're renting was not remastered for DVD, even standard definition. It's full screen. Mm -hmm. It is the VHS version. Moving on to a movie I've never heard of with Nicholas Campbell and Michael Bean, Rampage. Rampage was made in 1987. Whoa, what? Yeah. Uh, it's a William Friedkin joint about Michael Bean playing a guy out on the street named uh, Reese. Wow. But not Kyle Reese, but he's a serial killer. And then it's all about really the legal system and like, is it right to put someone away if they're insane and they don't know what they were doing? But like, obviously you got to punish them because they hurt people. And yeah, everyone was just sort of like, eh, it's okay. Ebert really liked it though. But again, I don't think it's, I'm not even sure it went to video. It's like, still hard to Google. You come up with fucking oh, yeah. WWE oh, Rampage. It's, <laughs> it's like page two or three. Also because of the confusion that it's from 1987. See, yeah. I think that was my error because I kept the inside baseball when I'm Googling our movies. I always put the year yeah. just to cut down on any That's confusion. That. And I kept Googling Rampage 1992. And all I was getting was this WrestleMania. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, from I the UK. I went to theaters. <laughs> <laughs> Might have in <laughs> yes in Prague something like that. Yeah, gone. It's lost to time. Um, Maybe you can get a DVD in Poland. I don't know. How about the lava with uh, Jane March and Tony Ka Fai Lung? Oh, this was, uh, uh, <laughs> yikes. Uh, so to the FBI agent now permanently assigned to my computer, this was work <laughs> for 30 2010, my podcaster. Wow. Please remove me from the watch list. So, yeah. He was almost 18 when they filmed it. Oh, no. Oh, no. Yeah. Where's this going? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, this is about a rich Vietnamese who starts dating a very younger French woman during the colonial French colonial empire in Vietnam's history. And at the beginning of the film, she tells him she's 17, but in the voiceover, she says that she's actually 15 and he's 32. And oh okay, there are 15 year olds who look like they're in their twenties and there's 15 year olds who look like they're 12. And this movie is definitely coding her to look younger than 15. She has very innocent dresses. The way her face and hair is made, it's 
coded to be younger than 15, which is pretty gosh darn young. I didn't and mean this young. Sorry, there's my <laughs> Levity Sandler in there. And that's a choice movie. You yeah. are making that choice. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's Jean-Jacques Arnaud who had done The Bear might have been the last thing as we talked wow. about. And then he goes to adapt this novel, which is uh, is basically Rochelle Rochelle, but in Vietnam. It's, <laughs> it's an erotic journey. It's it's dressed up softcore pornography, but it is very beautiful looking. And the oh, big boy. rumor on this was that that the sex scenes were not simulated. And the director kind of helped promote that to get attention. And teenage Jane March, like, had a breakdown over it because she was being Whoa, so I, wow. the, the press was after her of just like oh look at this nymphette it's like a lolita story and she's like dude i was oh definitely not actually having sex <laughs> oh leave me god. alone oh my god that's so fucking awful oh my yeah. god so right. yeah i mean a lot of people compare it to say last tango in paris that's definitely a more cerebral movie than this but there's also yeah a lot of sex and the actress is not being treated well so i guess they do kind of go together yeah no no thank you it's uh, okay let's move on so that's a mild recommend okay <laughs> moving no, moving on to the biggest the lover you might honestly just watch much porn the, bi- <laughs> the biggest porn. the biggest show in town this week that most people ended up talking about especially as you know straight white men like me eventually all gravitate towards fly fishing joseph gordon levitt edie mcclurg stephen Shellen, uh emily lloyd Brendan Blethen, Tom Skerritt, Brad Pitt, Craig Schaefer, A River Runs Through It. I know how we can go down in history. Two brothers in life and in love. I'm in love with Jesse Burns. In friendship. And in conflict. You are in debt up to your damn neck. I'll be fine. Boys, what have you done? Craig Schaefer, Brad Pitt. Hang on! A River Runs Through It, a film by Robert Redford, rated PG. Ooh, and I remember this as Brad Pitt's big break, because I think his even bigger break, like Legends of the Fall, I wasn't kidding, had like little girls could buy book covers and cover their textbook with (laughs) folders from River Runs Through It. And like when you were reading profiles of Brad Pitt, they would mention Thelma and Louise, probably his big breakout performance. He starred in Cool World, but this is a starring role that people like, and I think went back to once Brad Pitt became a movie star, like a well, few months later. This, to me, is early Brad Pitt. Yeah. This yeah. is Brad Pitt looking gorgeous. gorgeous. You know, just this utter tall drink of water of a man, you know, and that was his reputation for a long time. And I think it's because of movies like this where he is shot to be this strikingly handsome figure for young girls to really swoon over. Yeah, he's, he's Robert Redford, a director who came up in classic Hollywood giving him starlight. <laughs> oh, oh, constant starlight. Yeah, this and Legends of the Fall from two years from now go together pretty well in that they're like, Brad Pitt is a romantic troubled hero out in the old west. But not really. It's not that old. But mm-hmm. it's, you know, Montana or Wyoming or somewhere. Big sky country. Yeah, Brad but it is in big sky country looking pretty, but troubled. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, even in the 1920s, this area was super rural, super, <laughs> very, very rural. And they bring that world to life with some incredible photography. And yes. they just make fly fishing look like yoga meditation. Yes. They really do. Yeah. It's this peaceful, calming, serene activity do you mean to tell me this is the one activity you haven't done jr 
I've gone fly fishing. Mm-hmm. I found it boring. I like deep sea fishing where I'm struggling against the fish Hell and my yeah. arms are just this wet noodles by the end because I've been so active. And no mm-hmm. one and no one can tell you you're you're wrong for watching the lover because you're in international waters. <laughs> and, and, yeah. No, I I see yeah, fly fishing is sort of represented as being part of nature, cooperating with mm-hmm. nature to catch a fish as opposed to just like gimme dynamite yeah. fishing that's what i do damn it i, I, I up everything as a friend and with a bunch of other friends heading into their 40s in different phases of their career in life many of them are fly fishing and annoying i'm her i'm told by two of them if it's not on the fly it doesn't count they do not they will fish with lures but it does not count unless you're communing with the water with the fly fish and i get mm-hmm. that because i do do meditation and mm-hmm. i could see this fly fishing experience in 1920s montana is the only meditative experience you're gonna have it's the only thing where you can just go out there and have an excuse to have your mind become one with nature that's it that's what you're doing you could swim (laughs) the problem with this movie is that besides the fly fishing which you know that's kind of how they like reset their lives it's just sort of a melodrama about these two brothers and oh here's a surprise one's uptight and one's a little bit wild and then there's romantic entanglements Mm -hmm. well no it's fine it's fine but it's slow. Discourse. I found <laughs> this to be a fantastic examination how we can't help people. Brad Pitt's character is, is heading true? down a path that yeah. his father, his mother, his brother all know is a horrible path for him to be on. But none of them have the power or the ability mm. or even the skill to get him off that path. And they, the sermon they give in this movie is a directly addressing that topic and i found it to be an incredible moving sermon mm. that's that is true that is a theme of a movie you do not see very often the idea of yeah how you the realization you can't help people who don't want to help themselves mm-hmm. which that, usually we hear about with mental illness or addiction and we're gonna talk about a whole bunch later oh, this yeah. episode yeah that that is true i I kind of wish there's a little bit more there there. Like I, I overall I will recommend the movie just because it, it's beautiful and just, uh, yeah. Calming. I was still bored. <laughs> still bored. Oh, <laughs> see, I was in the right so, so. Frame, frame of mind. I was in the, like, I watched it with my wife. Kids were asleep a long week. Just let our minds rest for a minute. You know, mm. we are go, 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 go. Just having a peaceful, calm movie, which is what this is. Mm-hmm. was exactly what I needed at the moment I watched it with her. I, I think my, my dad has always liked this movie and watched it a lot. So in a one TV household, holy shit, oh, you end up hating dad, a movie like this. Dads love A River Runs Through It. Yep. Oh my God. Yep, yep, they, yep. they can pull philosophy out of it we would never dream of. Dads love it. Yeah, watch it with your dad. Watch there it you with go. your dad. Watch it with a fly fisherman in your life. But yeah, that's the biggest movie of the week. But man, animation owns the milestones of 30 mm-hmm. years ago in TV, 1992 television, October 28th through November 3rd. Oh boy. Simpsons Treehouse of horror three, which I think Ooh. the first two opened up their Frankenstein references and they change it here. And I am conf- I'm concerned. Most people will not understand what it is. Good evening. I've been asked to tell you that the following show is very scary. And I think before I had ready access to the Twilight Zone, this was the anthology show that I watched the most. It was on all the time. See, I couldn't stand Alfred Hitchcock. Really? It was a little JR, 
didn't have the well, it doesn't have the, a lot of the fantastical days. elements. It, mm-hmm. it it's a lot more yeah. suspensey. I mean, it's, it's, the, it's the yeah. psycho team. This the team of Alfred Hitchcock presents made Psycho. It was the low cost black and white unit uh, that was shooting his show. And I went back and watched the first couple episodes, and they're just like, "Is this lady kidnapped?" I'm like, "That's not very Twilight Zone." <laughs> but but like at the time, like everybody understood that reference. That hundred percent. That person walking the frame. Even though I didn't like it, I still had seen that because monoculture. It's a hilarious episode. And the fact that it's three is, I think, very important. Yeah. I mean, once they did two, okay, they're doing maybe it again. They'll keep doing it. Mm-hmm. But once they do three, nah, you're going to keep on doing this yep. until, however, this show. It was like until a, this show becomes unprofitable. Because community didn't really do a third paintball thing, they did something mm-hmm. different. And mm-hmm. yep. So, and after they didn't do it the third time, it didn't become a tradition. And be, right. if you do it three times in a row, it's an instant tradition. And you can just see why the writers love this stuff. The first thing is all Twilight Zone. It's all about what these writers who are probably now in their 60s, 70s watched as kids on television. Yep. I'm talking Tina and I'm going to kill you. Yes. <laughs> yes. And a, a wonderful King Kong sequence, which thank God for the show. Bart's Nightmare came out before this episode so it couldn't have been based on that i guess not of yeah. I, I would have sworn it was I but mean, you're right they were sharing notes but uh who's yeah. gonna dive that deep into that shitty game i love dial z for zombies which mm-hmm. is not ripping off any specific zombie story but it's kind of like pulling from dozens of them and it has one of those things that have just become part of my vocabulary my mistake uh, <laughs> my mistake yep, <laughs> yep. just say do. it like that that was yours too yeah, 100%. I, me- I remember that was one of my first times making Brett, our former co-host, laugh. I, I was legitimately apologizing, just going, my mistake. See, and- I did not know I was referencing it after me a either. while. It, it was just something I used, and then I heard your podcast on it. Mm. My mistake, my and I was mistake. like, wait a minute, I do that? Yeah. Oh, my God! Simpsons becoming a language. You see, the one I steal is uh, the one I saw someone highlight <laughs> the quote of the episode. Can we play that clip? Yep, here's your problem. Someone set this thing to evil. Anytime there's a haunted whatever, I'm like, oh, looks like they set that to evil. (laughs) I'd never get tired of Charles Bronson voice for every (laughs) blue-collar worker, even though he doesn't look... I think there was a recent episode where he's actually the same guy working at every job. But Uh, yeah, yeah, again, time marches on. My son is watching far more Simpsons than I ever am. I think he's up to season 23 now. And... He's a child. He's a free time millionaire, and he's just <laughs> plowing through season after season on Disney Plus. That's that's, what... that's where the show really gets going. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he will never know that's a reference to Charles Bronson ever, ever, yeah, ever. yeah. But it's still being, you know, it's a fun that's the voice to of do. the working man, Charles Bronson, the everyman <laughs> ass kicker, and and just just looking at this in conjunction with Batman the animated series, which it didn't feel like the same year because this I think there were some production woes. How this the next thing that hit Fox this week because Fox is just owning my brain at this point. X Men the animated series airs for the first time this week, and I was I found unfinished <laughs> and uh, kind of horrible with a lot of errors in it that they eventually corrected because of how Saban and Fox didn't really understand how to make an animated production on this level. But the degree of quality we got was amazing. No, I... If anyone wants to see what we could have got, you can find Pride of the X Men, the mm-hmm. 1980s pilot that never went to series on youtube and that could have easily easily been the level of x-men we got uh x-men the animated series had depth 
for that's, a cartoon. That was exactly because really I, w- I was already reading the X Men, and not not only do I consider this like my favorite team of the X Men, they're all wearing my favorite colors too. The the Jubilee, Gambit, Storm, and you know all the other Psylocke, Wolverine, Beast, Rogue era. I love it so so goddamn much, and it made it made the comics feel more important, which at the time could not have been bigger. And they're taking like the best of and semi recreating way more so than Batman, the animated series was doing. It wasn't retelling you stories from the comics. Uh, what impresses me so much is the X-Men cartoon had continuity. Yeah. Yes. Morph dies. Morph dies. And he stays dead. For one thing, Death wasn't really a thing in most cartoons. Never. You know, that would not have been possible. It was jarring. Joe it was shocking to see as a kid. Not until they got a big movie. And then it's like, we'll kill someone for the movie. But in mm. the actual series, people don't die. People in the X-Men die. Yeah. And when Beast is arrested, he remains in jail for the entire season because he keeps making <laughs> a choice of, I'm not going to escape. That would make all mutants look bad. We have all the rights as the other people. And that means we have to go through the judicial system. That's not something you'd see in other cartoons either. Yeah. You know, I, I there must be some American cartoon with continuity in it before 1992, but damned if I can think of oh, one. shit. I might even know that. Well, Rocky and Bullwinkle. Yeah. What? It's tons <laughs> of continuity. It, it's, it was a joke every time. Next time. Is this technically an American cartoon? Because I'm going through the cast Canada. and they're all Canadian. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, they, they hired the voice cast almost exclusively from the toronto theater scene and all these people had worked together or a lot of them had worked together at least so they got that synergy going Mm -hmm. and i think you can hear it in the voice cast again this is not the he-man voice cast this is decent acting Mm -hmm. decent performances i think it's safe to say it's the first time marvel had really done that marvel had Mm -hmm. left its cartoon adaptations in the hands of filmation hanna-barbera and the like it's why the thing yells at a ring to do its thing and transforms from a teenager into the thing and other non gobbledygook like that. The X-Men like, no, this is the fucking X-Men that you know. And it just seems so uh, more mature. And as a little mm-hmm. kid, you're always looking for things you like that make you feel more mature. And I instantly gravitated. It sucked missing an episode, which yeah. is something cartoons that really hadn't happened with me. I didn't care if I didn't Rocky and Bullwinkle was serialized, but it didn't really matter. It was all going to end in a joke anyway. This was serious. In that first episode, I just remember the, everybody in the schoolyard talking about, dude, morph dying? What the fuck? We're not, we're not supposed to see that on television on Saturday morning. <laughs> and here we here we are. And I think, I think this double whammy of Batman the Animated Series, this is where superhero adaptations really start to kick off. 100%. I mean, 1992 is a line in the sand mm-hmm. that is like a mile deep compared to every superhero cartoon before it. Yeah, and you have like Batman and Batman Returns and Tim Burton not wanting to come back again. Mm-hmm. But feeding people my age adaptations of these things we could only read. And at the time, I always say that like comics was, as a kid, is the only entertainment you could really control. We, we didn't have on demand. It was hard to tape things. You could always open up a comic book. But as that changes, it'll be interesting to see because Disney Plus announced X-Men 97, a, fo- a direct I, follow-up. I, I love you know, I just I'm a I, I always say I want new stuff, but then when it's the old stuff shoveled at me, I'm like, yeah. It just it's, <laughs> it's it's even in comics, it's been this this to me feels like the main X-Men team. And even in comics, I don't think it's been reassembled quite this way again. You get new people or people are dead during all this period. So I get that. It's just that like having gone back to watch Batman the animated series and this, this holds up a little worse in that its animation is not 
it's very it's a very '90s looking show. Whereas Batman has a timeless look, but it's also mm-hmm. the quality is not as high. The cast of the X Men we have: Cyclops, Wolverine, Rogue, Storm, Beast, Gambit, Jubilee, Jean Grey, Professor X, and then Morph, who quickly dies. Mm-hmm. But I mean, gosh. That is one of my favorite lineups, 100%. I'm trying to think of what each one of those characters will interact with every other character Mm -hmm. in a different way. And that's good writing. That's good characterization. Yeah, and and, and it, it also helped a boost of video games following this help further endear those characters to me. But yeah, I've never been able... On screen, I, I don't think they've ever put this being my favorite X-Men ensemble together. But it's coming back. I don't know. There are five seasons of this. I personally couldn't get through the nostalgia was enough to get me through them. So I do wonder mm-hmm. what that's going to look like with X-Men 97. Is this a show for kids on Disney plus who have watched these seasons and are supposed because mm. it still is a little kid friendly or is this for you people know, my age? And I, I, I think it might be for people my age. I think it is because when they remade Batman 66 in animated form, yeah, that was going after the nostalgia yeah. market. It did so not I'm give a assuming, shit about kids. No. No, I'm assuming the same for this. And we can't let this segment go without mentioning how the kick-ass theme song was made. Uh, it was Whitney Houston, right? They stole, yeah, they stole a Whitney Houston song? No, it's actually a <laughs> Swedish... Story? No, it's... it's. If anything, there's like this Swedish 1970s show intro that it's almost impossible for the composer to have heard, but sounds exactly the same. Oh. But here's the making. Oh. <laughs> yeah! want from me. I've given you everything. I'm your X-Men tonight. Oh, <laughs> uh, the X-Men, it, it's just one of those things that like I can't go back and recreate how cool it was to watch the X-Men. It was really goddamn great. And up until very, very recently, I would get them for nerd friends as gift to see animation cells because you could get them for like 20 to $30. These wow. beautiful painted drawings Props, sketch, I love it. But now they're all super expensive. And then 1992 video games, speaking of superheroes, during the week of uh, October 28th to November 3rd, Superman Genesis. Uh, Superman can do anything but have a good video game. This is uh, one of those games which is all about memorizing where you last died, which is very odd for a Superman game. (laughs) He shouldn't be dying. And then the Flintstones Game Boy, which is flawless. I don't think we have anything bad to say about uh, yeah, god awful platformer. The Flintstones in 1992, it was recently off of a primetime show or no. a Saturday morning cartoon yes, show. Yes, that, that I believe 86's Flintstones Kids is the one of the last Flintstone cartoons up until like some prequel school stuff with just Pebbles and right. Bam Bam, but there hasn't any Flintstone stuff proper since then. Never, yeah. So, 92 Flintstone still. In the zeitgeist, I mean, Still just Cartoon Network just around. came out, and they're promoting it like you can watch Flintstones like multiple times a day now. And there was a part of me like, "Fuck yeah!" I don't have, as long as I don't have to watch like one of these Judge shows or in the heat of the night reruns. I'll, I'll take the Flintstones. But now, yes, it was kind of uh, that the tale of that pop culture legacy. I don't know how it existed this long. I don't know how they're still on the cover of cereal boxes to this day. Legacy, because they've been there, because they've been there, because they've been there. That's know, why they're still there. It just, I they, mean, people they, like the cereal more than they like the characters. They put John people Cena like on it once, and like, would you really complain if it was John Cena on here forever? It might be cheaper. Probably not. <laughs> and then the real big show in town at Game Boy Game, if you haven't played it, it is 
one of my favorite Game Boy games, a great Mario game, much better than the first one, Super Mario Land 2, Six Golden Coins. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head. Mario Land 1 did not feel like a Mario game. Well, it just feels know? like a, a, a weird a weird evolution from Super Mario Brothers original rather than like mm-hmm. the evolution the rest of the games kept on going through. Yeah, but but this one, it doesn't have Miyamoto involved, but I feel like that's not a bad thing. This feels more like a freeing of Mario to be different and mm-hmm. in a good way. I highly recommend this if you've never played it. It's a solid Mario game. I don't think any of the power-ups would return. It's got a weird appearance by Nintendo's original bread and butter, the le- rip-off Lego blocks. I love that that's the <laughs> great levels. What last one taking place on the moon. And of course, the introduction of a new villain, Wario. And it's the last Super Mario Land because it'll pretty much just be Wario from here on out. But this is where the Wario Land series starts. Isn't that weird? They still... Well, last time they made a Wario Land game, they used the word Wario Land because this is how that evolution went. They just gave it to Wario. Almost interesting, right, Diana? Music of 1992, <laughs> uh, October 28th through November 3rd. We have uh, Harvest Moon by Neil Young. That's out. Madstock by Madness. What do I buy? Madness or Neil Young? Nur- <laughs> Nurse, the debut of Therapy. The Skills That Pay to Bills by Positive K. Keep the Faith by Bon Jovi. Good As I've Been to You by Bob Dylan. Are You Normal by Ned's Atomic Dustbin and Rage Against the Machine's self-titled debut, which is on Rolling Stone's Top 500 Albums of All Time list. And I I deeply... I hate that it's still relevant, but I saw a great meme like a week ago. I think we're going to talk about the same thing. (laughs) Is it a cop pepper spraying himself? Oh, no, in the video? No, no. no. I saw a meme that referenced uh, the song we're going to go out with, Killing in the Name by Rage Against the Machine. It's a line of riot cops, and one cop has got pepper spray out, and he's trying to spray the crowd, but it's pointed straight at him, so there's just this massive thing of pepper spray going in this cop's face, and it was just labeled, fuck me, I won't do what I tell me. Okay, I was... The meme we were talking about, there may be a better collection somewhere out there, but one, somebody had a collection of Tom Morello responding to people to ask him to stop being political, and he has to remind (laughs) them, uh, I've got a, a... like a graduate degree in political philosophy from Harvard and I wrote these Rage Against the Machine songs and then we were talking about it and I'm like Did, have people only heard the music and not see, seen the videos the videos are blunt force trauma in terms of what Rage believes and the comments show you these people had no idea Someone, well, well they, most people think it's a politely worded letter against the machine yeah yeah we're really talking about Anthony Fauci when uh, we're talking about yeah like uh, no the, see the real machine is not billionaires that own things it's my liberal cousin who doesn't like it when I use slurs because somebody somebody and I, I, I don't I don't engage in Twitter fights but it was someone it was someone commenting like I used to love sleep now in the fire and now I fucking hate it these guys won't shut up about what they believe I'm like first of all that video was directed by Michael Moore and yes. it has features <laughs> Giuliani in it as a villain. He shows up in the video and a guy being made fun of for holding a Trump like 2000 sign. There's shit all over that should have let you know what Rage believed. And it just I'm shocked. 30 years later, people still don't know. They just think they're angry songs. My, my favorite meme, though, is Rage Against the Machine never specified which machine. Yeah. But I'm pretty sure it's a printer. I'm pretty sure it was the fax machine. We don't need to worry about the machine anymore. <laughs> My goddamn printer won't do what I tell it. This is the nature of printers. We'll close out with some rage, having full knowledge of what the song is. Killing in the 
the name is really specifically about something that we have been talking about for the last couple of years in this country. Yes. It's very specifically about cops getting to kill whoever they want, especially non-white people. Yes, and for fuck's sake. They were sake, talking about this 30 years ago. 30 years ago, still played on the radio, and people are missing it. I don't get it. I don't get it. But we'll close out with that. Maybe we're doing our part. They'll finally get it. But we'll come back. Oh, my. We got a bunch of fun stuff to talk about. Stay right there. Some of those that work forces draw the same that burn crosses. Killing in the name of. Killing in the name of. Coming in with Get Low by Lil John and the Eastside Boys off of Kings of Crunk. I would challenge that title if you've seen me and JR go. We are the new undisputed Viceroys of Crunk, but it's Welcome 2002 with that jam coming in to remind you it's October 28th to the November 3rd, and of course we have other new releases to talk about, like Thug World Order by Bones, uh, Bone Thugs and Harmony, as well as Melt by Rascal Flats, a Lucky Day by Shaggy. Uh, Divine Discontent by Sixpence None the Richer. Really sounds like the, still the 90s here. DeCapo by Ace of Base. Still the 90s. Scarlet's Walk by Tori Amos. 90s! Uh, now or Never, the solo debut of Nick Carter. Uh, there we go. Some 2000s for you. And A New Day at Midnight by David Gray. And Parenthesis by Sigaross. There we go. And there's some 2000s for you. Dilemma by Nelly Fijin Coleman is still number one. The Under Siege of Songs. Still. Yeah. Look, yeah. It's a fun song, but... Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. I get it. I don't want it. Don't like it. Uh, how about some 2002 news to bring you into the world of October 28th through November 3rd, 20 years ago? Former Enron Corps CFO Andrew Fastow indicted on 78 counts of wire fraud, money laundering, conspiracy, and obstruction of justice. I'm sure justice was served here. Well, slightly because he flipped on the rest of Enron and hey. led to a couple counts and actually did a little bit of time. Hey. Not a lot of time, a couple years. Yeah. According to him, he asked his accountants as everything was going on, is this all legal? They all told him it's dicey, but yes, you're legal. And then once things started happening, he got a phone call from Washington and he was told, you are going to jail. <laughs> and he was like, whoa. And he, he has a really interesting comment on his legacy. There's only one reason I'm here today. The only reason I'm standing here today is because I went to prison. When I was CFO of Enron, Enron was the seventh largest company by revenues in America. I was never invited to speak anywhere, not one time. Now I'm invited to speak somewhere around the world every week if I wanted to do it. But it's only because I went to prison. That's my distinction. It is an awful distinction to have. It's something I wake up, I think about every morning, and I'm embarrassed about every morning of my life. Um, but that's why I'm here. What? <laughs> so, yeah. When he was running the seventh largest company in America, yeah. he never got invited to any speaking. He's events. anonymous. After No one really cared who he was. Yeah. After he went to jail, he gets offers to speak anytime he wants. He can be a professional full-time speaker at mega corporations and they always want to hear why did you go to jail how can we not go to jail 
Is that Jesus Christ? I, I was thinking it was more like the train wreck nature of American celebrity, but it's just like no, tips no, on very, how not yeah. to go to prison. Or, or tell us your story of redemption. Did you find Jesus? You feel better now? No, that's better not person? why he's invited for business <sighs> lectures. He's invited to other businesses wow. to tell them how not to go to jail. He is don't do what Donnie don't did. <laughs> oh, oh, wow. Man. Can we talk about another cautionary tale? Because I think <laughs> yeah. November 4th, 2002 is a very important day in internet history. This is not when this video was uploaded, but it mm. is the day Star Wars kid filmed himself with a golf ball retriever oh. going <laughs> super sick on everybody. That was not actually there because he's he's a 15 year old kid and he's just fucking around with a video camera at school. Yeah. And yeah. My God, I feel really bad for him because yeah, he got cyber bullied. Like I mean, nobody's. This was an attempt to bully him to begin with. It was a this thing he didn't know people had access to, and the tape was circulated amongst his school to bully someone who's already bullied. Yeah, yeah, this was not him posting to YouTube. Mm -hmm. This was nope. not him going, I want to be famous. This was just it getting out there and being like, let's all go make fun of this 15-year-old kid, which is pretty dark when you think about it. It's dark, but before, I don't want to high horse it like that exactly, because like when it, when it was when it became a meme, I thought like this speaks to the beauty and creativity of all of the nerds on the internet and like, we're all kind of this guy. That's what I thought it meant. And, and finding out the backstory, how unpleasant it was for this poor fucking kid, that colors it a little bit. But I, I stand by some of my, that people were learning to edit video and add lightsaber effects just to be a part of this thing. And I don't think it was because look at this big dumb guy. It was just like, we've all done this. We, yeah, we've all done I mean, this. That's the thing. We've all done this. We've all done this, and we haven't. Yeah. And, and and it was funny to see him like transposed into like <laughs> just <laughs> Attack of the Clones, killing everybody with every color lightsaber. Like that was. It's one of those things that made I want to work on the internet someday. It's such a place of creative, like-minded, uh, just cute individuals. But it, it it wasn't like that for this kid at all. And I, I'm he had a documentary that debuted in Canada this year that, you know, we haven't seen yet, but I would, mm -hmm. I'd love to know his story more than almost anybody else. Cause this was such a cultural touchstone, not just as an internet meme, Arrested Development referenced it so many times with the actual <laughs> star Wars music. Other places yep. did. And it just, it, I, there, there was a petition so that he could have a cameo in Star Wars mm -hmm. Revenge of the Sith. Mm -hmm. They got 140,000 signatures. And I think they should have thrown that in there somewhere. It doesn't yeah. have to be a big one. He can be in the background, mm -hmm. you know, just somewhere. Sure. I feel like they would have put him in there if, but I think at the time he was, this was very traumatizing for him for the first at least 10 years of this stuff. He's Absolutely. occasionally done an interview here and there, but ultimately has decided to be a private person. He could capitalize this on this at any time. And but I think he does appear in the documentary that came out this year. Yeah. And then it also, you know, besides being like a viral video, it's it's also a, someone from a viral video suing other people yeah. over internet harassment. Yeah. Which um, you know, uh One. I, I think they yeah, they they settled with mm -hmm. the kids that posted the video for you know, probably a couple hundred thousand Canadian as opposed to almost a billion dollars when you're Alex Jones. <laughs> yeah. But it's just odd because like the people who capitalized on it were people like me, like people who like, this is so funny. And again, not that it's, it was just once they started adding in the sound effects and real lightsaber effects, something none of us could ever do for ourselves, no. but, but had always tried. It always played this and done this. It, I still think my humor, <laughs> my joy of this 
is from a good place, but like it does, it is colored by the reality of what happened to this this kid, whatever his name is. Yeah, um, I didn't even him. want to say his name because I didn't want to draw any more attention to this poor guy that you know now he's thirty five and living his life in Quebec, I yeah. assume. And yeah, I it's I I just always really liked it. I didn't really laugh at him. I was I felt like I was laughing with him, and that like he's so committed. He really wants to experience. He is Darth mauling it up so much. And it's like, I've done that too, though. Yeah. Everybody yeah. He is there. He is living it's, the world. Dude, I do yeah. not turn on a flashlight and not go. Yeah. Oh, come on. And, and I, like, I'm a grown ass person when I have wrapping paper tube. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, every, everybody's yeah. done I'm it. I'm a samurai now. And uh, uh, yeah, I, I, I hate that there's darkness behind this story, but you know, there was one of the first big memes where like, uh, yeah, I feel like people, people probably learned how to do even more creative stuff from trying to participate in this meme because it was so fun. And I don't think it, it instantly came from a place of evil, except that, you know, origin style, secret origins. Yes, it did. It, it was a stolen tape meant to bully one of their classmates. And yeah. that's where the, the tape comes from. The darkness behind everything, right? As mm. we Let's move on to the movies of 2002, October 28th through November 3rd. First up, we got Sarah Poli, Sean Penn, Catherine McCormick in The Weight of Water. We're going to call this the Catherine Bigelow movie Diana has not even heard of. Because <laughs> it's uh, a book adaptation. It's smaller because she's coming off of K-19, The Widowmaker, which was a big failure. And it's like a trauma about this murder in like the 1800s paralleled with stories that people live in now and most most reviews were like i i liked the the vintage murder part and the modern parts didn't need to be there but it's an adaptation of the book and so we're staying faithful and oh well yeah i don't know and i don't don't trust movies that have titles that vague (laughs) (laughs) don't we all know the way to water yeah Uh, Don't we all have a green mile to walk? Don't we all play by a silver linings playbook? One of the week's most interesting movies up next, Marilyn Raskin. It's an all-love kind of punch drunk. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Luis Guzman, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Emily Watson, and Adam Sandlor in Punch Drunk Love. What is it called when everything you do... Let me demonstrate for you. Everyone you see... And everything you want brings nothing but disaster. For Barry Egan, it's called Another Day. I have to go to the bathroom. Adam Sandler, Emily Watson, Punch Drunk Love. Man, I really like this movie. (laughs) I want to hear what you guys have to to say about it. Well, it's... In some ways, this ad is like the river runs through it out, or it's like they make it look like a lot more happens than it does. Sure. Yeah. This is I, Adam uh, Sandler's yeah. first serious role, right? Yeah. So this no, is definitely different. Adam Sandler breaking out of the yeah. Billy Madison roles, trying to be a serious actor. And I've actually enjoyed quite a few of his serious oh, yes. portrayals. He's got some mad skills. Yeah. Like this, this is his for a while was Adam Sandler's only movie in the Criterion collection (laughs) until (laughs) Uncut Gems, which is another unbelievable, no one else could have done this performance. And I don't know that this is. But that path didn't have to happen. No, what's weird is this is kind of written for him. Yes. Mm -hmm. Paul Thomas Anderson saw him on SNL and the way that he would just be you know kind of like an all shucks guy and then turn on no the it was and it, it was i think there are only two sketches and he would host a public access talk show called the denise show where yeah. he called and asked for advice on why denise would break up with him like this all he wanted to do was love her and i think it's sharon doherty 
in the in the first one, but and they try to do it again without Sharon Doherty. But yeah, he, like a heartbroken man asking for advice in a chat show, <laughs> and, and and he's like, yeah, the and humanity then, in this guy. Yeah, and but the turn, the snapping of you know, stop telling me how to live my life. Well, uh, yeah, Anderson watched Sanders' films when he was sad to be yeah. um, not sad. Adam Sandler is you know? huge right now. He doesn't need. A Burt Reynolds pick me up, a John Travolta no. Pulp Fiction performance. No. He doesn't need this. He but begged he Anderson is... to like. Why should I? I can't do this. Is too hard, man. I, this is too much. There's no way I could do this. But he is very much playing a person who has a lot of rage that comes out, and this gets into part of my problem with the movie. His love interest goes and sees this guy. He's incredibly awkward, incredibly weird. She goes on a date with him. Mm -hmm. He leaves. He goes to the bathroom, trashes the bathroom, comes back with a bloody hand, and then is escorted out of the restaurant. Mm -hmm. If this was my daughter or Diana, if this was a friend telling (laughs) you about this person, would you say, wow, you've got yourself a catch there. Don't even use birth control. Just, just... (laughs) Get that man. No, and I, I think there's there's no. a, a mildly unhealthy message in the film because yes. Emma Watson she already loved him at that point. Emily Watson. Emily Watson, yeah, not Emma Watson. She she would have been way yeah. too young. Uh, way too not going to put that on Sandler, but no, she loved him from like she was told about him and was into him before she ever met him. Right, but she was told about him by one of his horrible, horrible sisters. Yeah, yeah these um, sisters who, who show they clearly have a record of diminishing him, psychologically abusing him in a lot of ways. But have you not and, have you not had that happen? You guys, I don't know when the last time you dated, but like well, when someone's like, "I'm going to set you up with this person," you do end up kind of building some expectations and hopes, and uh, yeah, and he's unaware of this, yeah. so he but makes then, no he makes that's what the why I think the movie is but a then bad. She has the real physical man in front of her with yes. a yeah. bloody hand. Yes. Yeah, being told to get out of the restaurant or I'm calling the cops. Yeah. And the answer is not, well, I guess we'll go to my place. The answer is, yeah. this was nice meeting you. Mm-hmm. You have not fulfilled my weird expectations. In fact, you've really, really undershot them because you're bleeding and I'm going to go. And I mean, yeah, it's an interesting portrait of someone, yes, who's obviously never been a- uh, able to express emotion. The only time he can express emotion is when he completely explodes. So my master theory of human relationships is Mm -hmm. people always want to date people who are a level above them or the same level as them. Now, everyone has different strengths. Some people have incredibly healthy bodies and poor finances. Some people have poor finances, but incredibly uh, developed emotional intelligences. Human beings are a spectrum. We all have our strengths and weaknesses, but we very, very much try to get our mates to be our equals or our betters, you know, if, mm-hmm. if you're going to put it on some level like that. Mm-hmm. I don't see what attracts this woman to this man. It does no. not strike me as a human relationship. Right. No, that's my number one complaint with the movie is that I'm not sure why she's here. Yes. What does she tell us? And and the fact that a big chunk, like one of the more important parts of the movie is score to he needs me. From Popeye. Yeah. Shelly Duvall. Like, I can say it they, now. <laughs> are, are they telling us that that's why? That she sees how fucked up is, he is and she's like, I can, I can fix him? So there is one line in this film from her that I grab onto. Mm. Uh, they're starting to make out and she says to him, I will chew on your eyes. <laughs> okay. So that, I am building off that one line. 
to say that this woman has huge, gigantic, medically diagnosed psychiatric problems herself that mm-hmm. we just never see in this film. And that's why she's attracted to Adam and, Sandler. And if I may like speak, attracting if I can yeah. just once again speak on behalf of people single in their 30s and 40s, it's not a desperation thing, but like people who are single that long have typically some trauma or baggage or just something keep why aren't you in a relationship now there's a reason there's a reason whether that's that's i, I anticipating sandler to be like 25 in this film did you how old do you think he is i i would assume 30s he's managing a very like i, I don't know he was in his theater he's managing the... a, a incredibly rundown that's, that's not the point that's not the point i want to argue the reason why i think this is worth watching because first and foremost, it is Paul Thomas Anderson challenging himself. Mm-hmm. He has made no movies that aren't two plus hours with like 800 people in the cast. Philip Seymour Hoffman and Louis Guzman being here, like, I'm not even sure they need to be here for, for the story. But like, he's got to use those guys somehow because they're in every one of his movies. But his life, and I believe this is his, his PTA's only movie set in our century. It is, <laughs> he has never made a movie set in our this century ever again. And, okay, and, well done. Well and, done. And he, he said he wanted to challenge himself. So like, I want to do something 90 minutes, small cash, straightforward. And I'm I'm paraphrasing here. I don't know if this is exact intention, but for me, it, it made the movie a really fun read. Adam Sandler plays a bunch of emotionally stunted man children. This is another one of those characters, except the yep. camera stays on in between the comedy. And it, 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 it deliberately focuses on things in Waterboy or Little Nicky that would be like, who's going to pay for this? Like, how am I supposed to be your friend after this? Whereas Adam Sandler's movies do not do that. He weirdly wrote an Adam Sandler movie in his style. Like, it, you can totally see a trailer like, Adam Sandler is a man-child. Oh, if I shave enough pudding, maybe I'll eventually meet the perfect girl. <laughs> like, it, it, it could yeah. work as that kind of comedy, but instead it's just like through a completely different lens. And if you've ever cared at all when Adam Sandler falls in love with Winona Ryder or the teacher from Billy Madison, like you get those moments too, even though they don't make sense. They don't make sense in Adam Sandler movies either. I don't know if that's what he was doing, but I think it's sort of brilliant. Like if you took a fucking up and coming auteur and and asked them to direct a Seth Rogen movie. Well, I mean, that's happened. Seth Rogen can act, but like it still kind of is an Adam Sandler movie in certain parts. He lashes out and does things that would have been played for comedy in a traditional Sandler movie, but instead the camera sits there and you watch cam- people react to this. Like, dude, you just broke my whole glass. Robert Smigel, Triumph the Insult Comic Dog in a cool cameo. Yep. Uh, that, uh, yeah, how his problems with everyone. I thought it was really fucking neat. And the path- the pathetic desperation you might not see in between the lines of a PG comedy. Yeah, that was, I mean, that was probably my favorite thing about it is that, yeah, it's basically any other Adam Sandler movie, but not for comedy. Yeah. They're showing mm-hmm. that this guy is fucked. How is this guy going to uh, live uh, his uh, the rest of his life if he does if he keeps being like this? Whereas yeah. Sandler movies no, don't address no, he that. He will end up in jail. Yeah. This yeah. The, the type of attitude he is displaying for us the audience is the type of behavior that will lead him to a bad end. Yeah. Period. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean other stuff, yeah, it is very very strange in Paul Thomas Anderson's oeuvre. Yeah. We're in between Magnolia and There Will Be Blood. 
and it is the mm-hmm. shortest movie by a country mile that he has <laughs> ever made. I went through all of them. I yeah. think Hard Eight's got about 15 minutes on it. Yeah, you could probably <laughs> squeeze in a Hard Eight here and still make a... <laughs> you, could watch, you could watch this twice and yeah. still have time on Magnolia. Yeah. It's insane that it's i mean and for that like uh, i think that was my big worry is like this could be two and a half hours oh shit i don't know if i can do that but no and i think in my defense yeah, i, I think it, it became in my this is if i haven't been clear on this this is my era of like buying as many dvds as i can when they hit every week and i watch things over and over again it's a really easy movie to watch over and over again and it kind of feels like a song or a poem given that there's a kind of a vibe throughout the entire thing including shelly duvall's music which keeps coming back and forth yep I, I will say, as always, Philip Seymour Hoffman isn't my favorite thing in everything. Yep. And I've never seen a character do something so basic in this movie is when he he is told to go fuck himself. He gets really mad about <laughs> Unnecessarily it. Unnecessarily. And usually when people say, you, fuck you, you say, fuck you back. And then that's it. But he's like, did you just tell Shh. me to go fuck what? myself? What? Did you, did you just tell me to go fuck myself? <laughs> All right. so, so that family, it's a family, right? Yeah. They all just work together and they run a sex line and their whole thing is... In a mattress store. Out of well, a mattress store. Out of a mattress store. But their whole thing is we'll get these guys' credit card information and then we will... Blackmail them? Blackmail them? Yes. And they'll be too ashamed yeah. to challenge it. But, but, you, but you have the credit card and a social security number. Just go open credit cards on, under his name. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you that would make drive really... out from Provo to threaten a guy for $500. <laughs> it, just, it, it just does seem like it would be a fairly easy call. Hi, MasterCard. Yeah, or your your company is committing fraud on me. I mean, the blackmail was built they... on people's sexual pro- proclivities and exploiting them because they're too embarrassing to bring to law enforcement. I, guess. I know, but the people calling sex lines, there's someone who's just going to be like, fuck, I, I don't give a fuck, but I'm going to see you yeah. burn. Yeah, I'm just not sure if that's where the site... Like, like, ah, anyway. I feel like I should do the math on how much the gas costs at the time, how much, how long does it take to drive from Provo, Utah to L.A. to break mm-hmm. a guy's knees for 500 bucks? It doesn't seem economical. For four people, you're probably going to have to get a motel room at least once. I mean, it, 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 yeah. it, it, it does try and, I think, because the Shelley Duvall music, it is trying to keep the vibe of a fairy tale. The, the thing is, you don't learn anything. I don't even remember Emily Watson's character because she's not very fleshed out. And it doesn't make any sense why she would fall for someone like this, other than when you're alone for a long time, you know, holy shit, you look for all the bright spots in a person. Yeah, we see that she's she's messed up in her own different ways. But Mm. yeah, bloody hand. I have to go to the bathroom and then you hear a bunch of noise and they come back saying we have to leave and they've got blood on them. See, we we needed a scene where we see... Where she her psychosis. We see yeah. her problems. Definitely. Or she asks about it and he comes up with something that she could believe. Yeah. And we see her buying it as being part of the problem. I don't know. I don't want to yeah. rewrite movies from 20 years ago, except that uh, I can't because I'm great. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think I think that's that's because the moral at the end is like uh just be you, you'll eventually meet someone without trying to better yourself or make yourself a more not attractive person, but a more reasonable person that someone would want to be with. And he doesn't really make any of those steps other than liking a musical instrument, which seems like which more... Which is Anderson magic, right? Yeah. It's just this, not a mm. piano. I forget the harpsichord. name of it. Harpsichord. Harpsichord. Mm-hmm. Just... No, it's not a harpsichord. It's not? Oh. No, that's right. like a piano, but higher pitched. Melodium? Yeah, Melodium. it's like a small organ. Mm. Yeah. Speaking of small organs, JR, what do you think about this movie? I'm sorry. Like, it was just too easy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess Punch Drunk Love is like, I, I guess. 
shrug. I mean, of all pump. Paul Thomas Anderson movies, I'm going to rank it kind of towards the bottom just because I was becoming frustrated with it because sure. there was a lot of, it felt a little repetitive because the character's not learning anything. It's weird. And I think I, I got a lot more out of it by thinking of it as an Adam Sandler movie by Paul Thomas Anderson, not a Paul Thomas Anderson movie because yeah. those are pretty distinctive. And this is semi inessential if you're a big PTA fan, but like really fun if you care about like seeing Sandler do something weird. But Uncut Gems is a, a much better version of that experiment. Like, mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, again, I think he might have been writing an Adam Sandler movie from a different perspective. I don't know why I'm trying to move this along because I don't want to talk about the next movie even a little bit. <laughs> nope. Not even a little bit. Bill Mondi. Hey, no, actually, <laughs> I can bring us all together. You're talking about <laughs> why is Flintstone still around? Brand name recognition. Yeah. And that's why we got so many movies that were quote unquote adaptations of TV shows that literally no one cared about because, well, I at least recognize the title. That's. <laughs> And that's so, so did I, because I actually watched this show and I remember, you know, yeah, they announced they were remaking it. I'm like, why? Like there was, there's only one reason this show existed and that was the person in it. Oh, you're going to put Eddie Murphy in there alongside Owen Wilson as a straight man, Famke Jimson, Malcolm McDowell, Gary Cole, Bill Mundy. It's I Spy. They're not your typical partners. Special agent Mike Scott. Meet Kelly Robinson. MLB 009 and a half. Ooh, boy. They're not your usual heroes. I'm starting to regret this. That was a big explosion. Yeah. But on November 1st, that's cool. they're the only men for the job. Well, let's go do this then. It's worth billions of dollars. Billions of dollars. You hear this guy? I spy. He's still a bad guy, right? Well, everybody keeps flip-flopping around. I can't keep it straight. Um, and this is, we, you know, we're talking about with Pluto Nash. Like, Eddie Murphy was the instant million-dollar man. This movie doesn't make its budget back, uh, and it wasn't a hundred million dollar movie. I, so I, I think this was a decent idea. I think the I Spy concept could have gone somewhere. Mm -hmm. I think Owen Wilson, Eddie Murphy are two talented people. Yeah, but it doesn't. I mean, this is a nothing. <laughs> this is a nothing burger. There's there's yeah. nothing here. There's nothing to recommend it. It's not even a good bad to, watch. To make it just forget it exists the second this sentence stops. To make it even more insidious and stay away from it. The only reason this exists is because of Bill Cosby. Bill Cosby was on the show I Spy with his was it Culp, Robert Culp? Mm -hmm. Uh in the sixties. Yeah, three seasons. Canceled. No one really gave a shit about it. Cosby show takes off, becomes huge. Somebody pre-internet's like wasn't there another cosby show we could cheaply put on the air and you know get some of that cosby heat and that became i spy and so my generation ended up seeing i spy despite not being a beloved show in any way i, and, I will say this for the original i spy tv show name a american tv show with a black man in a starring role no argument i spy no argument yeah. No arguments, but wait, what was I reading? Like it, it didn't even go, it went to like the, it started syndicating on the Christian broadcast channel. It really was just to take advantage of Bill, Bill Cosby's like amazing, unbelievable popularity in the early eighties. Mm -hmm. and, and and that this started being shown again because it, it really was very, very short-lived. Who could replace someone as funny as Bill Cosby? Eddie Murphy? It seems like a recipe 20 years ago. Like, why not? But, like, this fucking sucks. This sucks. Yeah. Meaningless. I'm meaningless. pleasantly surprised it's directed by Betty Thomas. Yeah. Who, um, she did a Farley Spade I, movie, right? Yeah. Well, I, I tend to think of her as she was on Hill Street Blues. She was an actor first. Mm -hmm. But Brady Bunch movie, Private Parts, and Dr. Doolittle. I guess she got Eddie Murphy. I guess she worked well with Eddie Murphy for Dr. Doolittle. And mm -hmm. she was like, okay, yeah. I don't know who recommended who. I'm guessing he recommended it's probably her. probably Murphy. But it's like, 
Yeah, but you do light comedies. You want to take on this much action. That's going to be tough. Okay. Mm -hmm. And it just sort of all falls apart. I and Mostly because the comedy's not that good. Yeah. I mean, it, it's not like Eddie Murphy can't do action. I mean, Beverly yeah. Hills Cop is great action. And then he was going down that path uh, with The Golden Child and a few other films. So I, I think he could have a good action scene or two I, in I, him but i not think it's, here. it's true but if you remember like him talking about being on pluto nash like i want to do this movie and like this isn't that funny yet and like i'll make it funny don't worry and like yeah that i think he still he still got it whatever it is but you do get rusty at that kind of stuff and if you're not controlling the edit or the screenplay things you do if you do like a, a minute long tirade unless fucking uh jet apatow is directing there's no guarantee it's going to make it into your 90 minute movie so i i think he needed to try a little harder and uh the stuff i think we'll see from eddie murphy from here on out will all be things he gives a shit about and wants to be great and this wasn't one of them speaking of not great <laughs> speaking of i don't give a shit about i'm just i'm gonna go take a nap you guys that's about christmas like <laughs> I, I wanted to like make a plea to our audience you don't expect us to watch this do you uh, uh, i watched it peter boy i'd seen it but like like just through like gritted teeth, like God, I hate this. Peter Boyle, Aisha Tyler, Tyler Spencer Breslin, Liana uh, Mumi, uh, Wendy Crewson, Judge Reinhold, Eric Lloyd, David Crumholtz, Elizabeth Mitchell, and of course Tim uh, Allen. It's number one at the box office this week because Halloween's been over for a couple hours. The, <laughs> the Santa Claus Two, aka the Mrs. Claus. Walt Disney presents a motion picture as big as the holidays themselves. Look out! Santa Claus is back. I've got to get married. It's Mrs. What's Claus. What's this about? With all the wonder and magic of an unforgettable Disney event. I'm Santa Claus. What? Tim Allen, the Santa Claus 2. That's going to leave a mark. Rated G in theaters November 1st. And his head is in her hand. I'm just going to take a little nap. Just now, now see here. I okay. will never fault anyone for finding a cheesy Christmas movie, a classic in their hearts and love. Everybody has one of those, except for maybe Diana. No, it's Raiders of the Lost Ark. Ha ha. That's true. That's true. That is my Christmas movie. That yep. is your Christmas. Everybody has a, a Christmas movie with some flaws in it. But uh, we should do Raiders of the Lost Ark as an 80s in-depth Christmas special. Oh, OK. <laughs> <laughs> love to watch it again. But, but this movie, like. Not a big Tim Allen fan. I don't think you can put him on film and have him do the same things an Eddie Murphy would do. And the CGI is like among the worst you've ever seen in your life. Yeah. Gosh, <laughs> gosh darn it. Hollywood of 20 years ago. CGI is not there. It is never in this. I mean, there's some few exceptions. Lord of the Rings got some things right. Mm -hmm. Harry Potter got some things right. But both of those films used immense, immense practical effects. And this film is like, well, we can do so much in CGI. We'll, we'll have one set and that's enough. And oh my God, does it age poorly. I mean, this is like watching a PS1 video game at times where you're just like, come on, movie. That being said, I'm going to throw this out here. Uh oh, This is the best Santa Claus movie. Wow, really? Whoa. Two or three. Not, not all Santa Claus. Movies. Not the Dudley Do not Moore one. Throw that evil mojo on me. I'm not saying all Santa Claus. It's the one with an E, which, by the way, is the one Google autofills first. Yeah, hmm. it's a clever pun that I think most people who watch it have no idea what it is. No, that's how you spell Claus. <laughs> yes, um, but yes, this is the best Santa C L A U S E 
movie because one and three are even worse. Okay. Yeah, but one has this Martin one, Short in it. This one has a good villain. It has evil robotic Santa, who's a fun, campy villain. He's going to give all the kids coal. He institutes a military dictatorship at the North Pole, and you see him goose stepping around with his robot army terrorizing the elves. <laughs> That's something. It's it, it, it's not going to make it a good movie, but it's something. And I don't feel that the other Santa Claus movies really have anything comparable. He the the plot of this film, by the way, listeners, is Tim Allen has to find a Mrs. Claus uh-huh. before Christmas or he loses all his powers and Christmas is ruined forever. He does it. He woos the stern but fair principal. And then she agrees to marry him. And then after she marries him, he instantly puts on a 100 pounds and 25 years. I mean, oh, a bit of a shock. Oh, I'll marry you. I'd do it if pounds, I could. If I could marry years. Juliet from Lost, I might take on the weight. But this <laughs> this this movie uh, sucks, and it's one of the. I love these slow moving Disney franchises. We just got Hocus Pocus two, and it's a long time to wait for a sequel to something that successful. But I think they had to wait for Tim Allen's TV career to completely go away. And uh, well, yeah, he was making so much money yes. on television; it was mm-hmm. ridiculous. I think he um, still might be one of the highest paid television actors in history five to five to seven million an episode something like that yeah and i don't hate tim allen despite most of what he says sucking i think he's a fun actor he's he's got his fun moments you know there are some fun moments in this film when you see the kids throwing snowballs and fighting off the tin soldiers those kids are having the funnest time of their life they're 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 Joy is a bit infectious, and that was a good moment. This is not a recommend. I want to make that clear. I'm just saying it's the least bad one. As our listeners know, I hoard my dad points and only try to have my kids watch good 30 20 10 movies with me and this was not one of them yeah so i'm <laughs> down in the basement alone by myself watching this film on double speed and my daughter comes downstairs and says what you're watching i say it's a film for 30 20 10 but it's not very good and she goes oh can i watch it Uh-oh. i say if you want to but it's not very good. And she says, okay. So I bump it down to single speed and it's even worse at single speed than it is at double speed. (laughs) And she's watching it. She watches like 10 minutes and she goes, dad, you were right. This is not very good and walks out. Wow. I mean, yeah, that's how I feel about all these movies. I I think they're unbelievably terrible and enjoyed by people much younger than me. That's fine. If you haven't heard of the billion Christmas podcasts i do i don't expect people to love emmett otter <laughs> goddamn it's a wonderful life as much as i do it, if it's yours keep it tell us something cool about it what you think is cool about it because i don't see it first one was when i was at the right age and i didn't i didn't like it then i didn't like this one i didn't i like martin short so i watched the third one but i won't watch the disney plus streaming series that's allegedly coming soon because of what oh, they dear. did to a, a franchise we'll talk about in the next segment Ooh. Um, yeah. Oh, sorry. The next, yeah, the next TV movie this week. Oh, okay. That, that quickly. Yeah. Okay. That quickly. Yeah. That's fair. That's fair. Okay. Mm-hmm. So moving on to television, we have Home Alone 4. Mm. Now, this film brings back Kevin McAllister, played by a yeah. different actor, as is 
every other returning character from the Home Alone series. And that wasn't for lack of trying. Daniel Stern, who played Marv in the first two films, mm -hmm. was approached to reprise his role in this. And Stern's response was, that's an insult. This is total garbage. Yeah. Damn. Uh, it's got Missy Pyle in it. I love Missy Pyle. She's so funny. I don't care. I'm also just offended. We are not allowed. November 1st is not Mark Christmas season. Stop it. <laughs> that shows Stop you That thing. shows you how bad it is that it had its premiere on November 1st. Mm. That that they had no faith in it either. And I think they would still make one more straight to TV video home alone. Well, there's the Disney one which is god awful. Does that count? Uh, I think that's technically the sixth one, but still technically the third one. It's very difficult. I, I do love that like, oh. it, it has three leads with enough standards like, I'm not doing this anymore. And they're all alive. Yeah. <laughs> but, oh, okay. I got it. Hmm. We, we got to get the Spider-Man No Way Home. Oh, shit! <laughs> all the oh. Home Alone kids reunited as adults. And here, here's the other pitch. We pretend the adults are all kids and no one acknowledges that they're all in their 40s, 30s, and 20s. I love it. I love it. Yeah, this movie's fucking terrible. And I think I somehow still have it on Blu-ray for some reason. Thank you to whoever gifted us that. But fuck yeah. this movie. Fuck this movie. Fucking, oh, what, what, did this actually hit Halloween, The Simpsons, Treehouse of Horror 13? Um, November 3rd. God but damn. But close enough. Yeah. Baseball. No, it is not Baseball. close enough, madam. I remain <laughs> firm that any Simpson Halloween that comes after is a slap in the face to that fine holiday. So do I. I know it happened for like decades, but I still maintain that. God no. damn it, Fox. I, may, I maintain if like if baseball's preempting it, you run the Simpsons Treehouse of Horror on a different night. Just do that. It's something everybody looks forward to. Yeah. Run, it, run it on actual Halloween. Make a big event of it. Yeah. Every Halloween, there's the Treehouse of Horror episodes, no matter what day yeah. of the week. But they know people are out. Either they're at a party or they're with their kids walking around. Whatever, well, I so. would come home to watch Treehouse of Horrors. <laughs> I, I, no, the... I would I would tape it and swear to actually watch the commercials. How about that? <laughs> How about that? But this has three solid skits. It begins with a seance to bring back Ned's wife. And she's very spooky. And I, I do like the Treehouse of Horrors that have their little intro scene that's separate from the other plots. Yeah. The three skits on this are all solid ones. One, Lisa Simpson learned nothing from the Treehouse of Horrors 10 years ago this very night. <laughs> and once again... Raises the dead. This time she raises Billy the Kid after clearing the town of all guns. So <laughs> there's no guns in Springfield. And then Billy the Kid and his partner Butch. And uh, don't mention Sundance. It's not like they're joined at the hip. And Kaiser <laughs> Wilhelm uh, for some reason. Yeah, he just and, happened to be uh, married in Springfield, sure. Yeah. <laughs> and they, they take over the town because they've got the only guns in town. Yep. And then there's an Island of Dr. Moreau parody which gets us a very amorous, furry Marge. So, you know, those Rule 34 artists are never going to be out of work now. Mm -hmm. And the and only one I, I liked, yeah, just because, like, uh, I'd never really seen Simpsons. At that point, had they called back their old animation and or thrown shade at Family Guy. Yeah. I'm not sure that they had, uh, but Family Guy was canceled. But Homer gets a hammock that can clone things by jumping in them. <laughs> And the clones start cloning themselves, and they just paying off, uh, paying over a big pile of them. It's like it's like season zero Homer, and then Peter Griffin just sitting there. 
the best bit of trivia here, it's something uh, it took me forever to notice. They'd never called it Treehouse of Horror. They always called it the Simpsons Halloween special in the episode itself. And this is the first Ooh. time, 13 years in, they call it Treehouse of Horror instead of the Simpsons Halloween special. It can be both. It'll always be both to me. And then also this week, this is weird. Warren Zevon is featured on Late Show with David Letterman as the only guest for the entire hour. Uh, that's what yeah. happens when Dave uh, likes a guy. Yep. Zevon had been on numerous times and he had been diagnosed with inoperable lung cancer. Mm -hmm. And he wanted to talk about it in depth, and Dave gave him a venue to do so, which was super rare on talk shows. I mean, pre-internet world, if you wanted to know a star, you hoped they went on a talk show, and then you got to learn about them for yeah. five whole minutes. I swear the best but... way to get to know someone back then was like a, literally a Playboy interview, a multi-page <laughs> questionnaire that's, like it was the pre-podcast that's that's what playboy interviews were i think that's literally true i think playboy haha ha, only read it for the articles they had fantastic interviews yeah. for and they were known for that for a reason this i also love just because um letterman is a really interesting entertainment figure to me but he also is someone who like didn't really exert his power often but when he did it was always for stuff he liked. like you had no idea what letterman thought about politics until a bill yeah. o'reilly came on the show or seriously, go back and look at those clips. He fucking roasts that dude. Like, he hates him. <laughs> and he kept coming back on the show. He's of a position he could do whatever he wants when he had Bill Hicks' mom on the show. And we just, we're going to talk about Bill Hicks the whole hour. I really like that kind of stuff. And he clearly loves Warren Zevon and his work. And yeah, this is what we're going to do. Sorry, CBS. Yeah, Can't that's great. Me. You know, he does interview. He does a couple songs. He does uh, requests. They're not just all like, oh, play the new stuff or, oh, play the best hits. He plays Rolling the Headless Thompson Gunner, mm -hmm. which is a pretty deep cut, but it's a really good song. Yeah. Yep. Zevon's the best. Y'all should look into him. And his his albums. He wrote a good Halloween song. When he realized that he was kind of sick. And um, I think about the song My Shit's Fucked Up just all the time. Mm. And once again, one of the more painful episodes of the Larry, Larry Sanders show. Larry Sanders, played by Gary Shandling, who is dead. His guests are John Ritter, Warren Zevon, and either Bruno Kirby or Roger Ebert, where it's just like, ah, it's the only time, like, wow, your whole panel is gone. Uh, <laughs> show's like 25 years old. Shit. And then last but not leastly, uh, Clone High debuts, Escape to Beer Mountain. Sit back, y'all. All right. I got All a lot right. to say. There uh, we go. 13 get, get episode show. Mm -hmm. Let's go. Yeah. 13 episodes show. And this show was my jam. Mm -hmm. Isolated in Japan, not a lot to do, could watch this show. Oh, so you, you were watching I this live. The... I discovered this way after the fact. No, mm. no, I was a near day one viewer. Nice, and wow. because I read about it, and I'm a history geek. And on my history geek news group on Usenet, we, it, this show was mentioned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, that sounds like my jam. And it was absolutely my jam. And I fell in love with it. I was like, this is a fantastic show. This was made for me. Remember, Diana, that that series about those two Hollywood actresses who fought each feud. other all the time? Oh, feud, the miniseries the about uh, Joan yeah. Crawford and Buddy Davis? Yeah. And it was like, who made this for Diana Goodman? Yes. Okay. 2002, who made a history geek, ultra funny show making fun of high school tropes for JR mm -hmm. because I, I wasn't that far away from the high school experience. I could still be like, yeah, I remember those days. And so much about high school sitcoms are stupid and dumb. And this TV show just fully leans into that and makes it super fun. And the history jokes are great. I mean, they've got so many of them and they're not afraid to go there. 
There is a scene where Abraham Lincoln is said, you should run for school president. And he goes, you know, I've always been thinking I should go into politics, but I'm very nervous about it. And I don't know why. And then the camera pans over to a painting of Abraham Lincoln at Ford's Theater getting his brains blown out. So my quote at the beginning of the show, I uh, learned how to do my JFK impersonation from Clone High. <laughs> Bo Quimby. And... Uh, <laughs> They, they, they made every character actually have some depth. So JFK in this show is a very macho guy who is being raised by two gay dads. <laughs> and we should say that and Clone High is a high school with all cloned figures of famous right, historical yes. figures. And it's a cartoon. It's, it's a cartoon. not it's, people it's, dressed it's, up like that. That right. would be even weirder. Well, actually, I, I, I think we have to play the theme song to explain the, oh, sweet. the the plot to viewers who may not know. Way, way back in the 1980s, secret government employees dug up famous guys and ladies and made them using genetic copies. Now the clones are sexy teens. Now they're gonna make it if they try. And, and again, it's made by, that's like the animated start of the guys who made my favorite, one of my favorite movies of the last decade, Phil Lord and Chris Miller. Yep. Hell yeah! Thing. It does so. I mean, this is where they kind of get their start with Bill Lawrence. percent. The they got this. Guy. They got this job out of college. Oh my god! Yeah. And then yeah. since then, they did Twenty One Jump Street and Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs and the Lego Movie. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, into last the Spider Verse. So Last Man on Earth is so good. Mm -hmm. oh, I'm very sad about it. But, yeah, and yeah, I love their sense of humor. Then I've loved to see it explored since then. I'm gonna bring up some individual episodes going forward. There's not, not that many. many of them, <laughs> but this was such my jam. And if you have not discovered it, then I really encourage you to look it up. It's very easy to find. Is it? Does it run yeah. on Paramount Plus at this it's point? Or? YouTube. YouTube. Uh, that's that's how I saw. I didn't see it till YouTube. Yeah. The yeah. whole thing is on YouTube. Okay. Oh, okay. I That's so, one of those, like, I've been meaning and I'm meaning and I'm meaning and I never do. And it's like, ah, all yeah, right. It's, it's one of those shows you, you feel like Comedy Central or Adult Swim would have picked up and rerun to death and just never yeah. did. The You know why? Okay, it didn't get enough ratings. Know. You know the uh, other reason this uh, got canceled? Controversy. No. Oh. Government censorship. What? Not yeah. just controversy. No, no. It was people talk about cancel culture. That's one thing. Mm -hmm. Government censorship oh, is yes. another thing. And that is what caused this to cancel. This show features Gandhi as a partying, drinking teenager. Mm -hmm. Oh, <laughs> here's the thing. The real life Gandhi. Yeah was a party dude and did drink when he was going after his law degree. The yeah. Gandhi of later years is not the young Gandhi. The young Gandhi fucked. The young Gandhi <laughs> drank. Okay? I am dead serious. Yeah, yeah, this is a thing he actually that. did. And so the Gandhi in this show is like, yeah, I'm certainly not breaking under the pressure that I have to grow up to be this mythical, wonderful figure who liberates an entire country and just devoting myself to partying while I can or anything. <laughs> That's almost word for word his motivation in the show. He says that. And so in this show, Gandhi is a party dude. And it was never shown in India, mm. but Maxim Magazine had a cartoon strip in which Gandhi got beat up. 
Okay. Mm -hmm. And so some Indian politicians on the anniversary of Gandhi's birth were protesting that. And then they found out about Clone High. They None of them had ever seen it. They just knew about Gandhi. Government officials stage a hunger strike oh. outside of the Viacom office in India. Wow. And the Indian <laughs> government tells MTV, if you do not cancel Clone High, we are canceling your license to broadcast MTV in India. It's not just you can't show yeah. Clone High in India. It's you have to cancel Clone High, period. Okay, wow. private individuals can do what they want. It is immoral for governments to threaten people's businesses for their speech, period, full stop. I don't care which government you are. Yeah. So yeah. they had two pitches for the second season. One it was going to be revealed that Gandhi was never a clone of Gandhi. He was a clone of Gary Coleman. Hey! Okay. And the second pitch was Gandhi wasn't going to be in the show and no one was going to ever mention him again. Yeah. Yeah. Graduated! Yeah. No, not even that. Just, who? who I, I don't know that guy. Happened. But, yeah. I did there... not know about that. I just thought, okay, well, animation's expensive and it got low ratings, so that... You know, that, that didn't no help. Lots, I guess. Yeah, that didn't help. But the we will pull your license yeah. in India, a country of a yeah. billion people, mm -hmm. unless you cancel this show. Billion upwardly mobile people. Yeah. And the president of Viacom was like trapped inside of the office as this uh, protest was going on mm -hmm. outside. So that that probably didn't help either. Oh boy. Yep. But I, I see they announced HBO Plus said they were bringing Clone High back over a year ago before, yeah, no. before their shenanigans. Before the Discovery so, people decided it should be all reality happen. shows. That's yeah. not going to happen, which sucks because it does. It, 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 they yeah, hold, they hold do the it. fate of another show in the next uh, segment in their hands, and I don't know where that is either. Uh, stay tuned to hear huge, about that. Huge, huge recommend for me. I will be bringing up some favorite episodes going forward. There's not that many, but they are gems. I will try and put it on in the background while I do some dishes tonight. Just, uh, nice. Got a very busy night ahead of me. 2002 Games, October 28th through the November 3rd. Star Wars The Clone Wars hits PS2, Xbox, GameCube, and maybe some other things at some point. But that's a significant deal, especially... If you will follow the show into the next segment, this is yeah. kind of a torch-bearing thing for Star Wars. For The game so itself splits into two segments, vehicles and third-person Jedi fighting. The vehicle settings, you can do any, you can do more vehicles from the Star Wars universe than any game up to this point. You mm -hmm. can do STAPs, tanks, AATs, ATXTs, and Republic gunships, and no one remembers that. They mm. only remember the Jedi isometric perspective fighting. That's what people remember from this game. As a good thing or a bad thing? As a good thing. Okay. Because you get to be a Jedi and kick ass. And you can't, can't argue with that. God, it's such better hands with Lucas. <laughs> Dexter's Laboratory Chess Challenge on GBA. Obviously, all three of us played this extensively. Um, so this is Dexter's first video game of all time. No. Yes. No. Yes. Oh. <laughs> and it's a, it's a, it's a chess game. Oh, okay. I heard chest. Uh, what were I, you expecting? I, I heard chest. I thought it was going to be something with body parts. Age of Mythology for PC is out as well. Thankfully. So this was super ambitious for 2002. Every time they had a unique idea for this game, mm. they threw it in, and that could have been a new game in and of itself. It's uh, based on the Age of Empire series. This isn't remembered as fondly as those because there's no cars driving around medieval Europe or clerics going <laughs> woohoo. But 
it's it's a pretty darn good game that stands up over time cool well with that oh god i can't wait to talk more star wars stay tuned people we got one more segment we're gonna close out this segment with work it by missy elliott because it's on the charts this week but don't go away we gotta talk about one of my favorite movies ever right after this is it worth it let me work it i put my thing down flip it and reverse it it's your primitive it's wet yet it's your primitive it's wet yet if you got a big let me search it to find out how hard i gotta work yeah it's your primitive it's wet yet it's your primitive it's wet yet come on i like to get the know ya Mr. Mrs. Internet and all the ships at sea, it's time for Diana's Classic Corner. We go even further back in time this week to see if there's anything worth a watching. And for the week of October 28th through November 3rd, I was hoping for more spooky season stuff, but uh, I, I got one recommend for you. I'll get to that at the end. Starting, how about a 90-year-old sex comedy <laughs> that is actually funny and sexy, and I think you'll be surprised. Trouble in Paradise came out this week in 1932 directed by Ernest Lubitsch, who is the favorite filmmaker of my favorite filmmaker, Billy Wilder. Ernest Lubitsch, check his shit out. Anyway, Trouble in Paradise, I think, is one of my favorites of his because it is about two thief-slash-con artists who are making their way through fancy people at a fancy time, and this is before they, like, really crack down on sexual innuendo, and I just watched this, like, I'd like to watch an Ernest Lubitsch movie. I don't know enough about his stuff, and I watched this, and I was like, oh, shit. This is much saucier than I was expecting, but of course it is because it's got Kay Francis in it, who was Little Miss Saucy Pants back in the day. And yeah, 90 year old sex comedy. And then I was surprised to find out that both Wes Anderson and Ray Fiennes cited it as inspirations for Grand Budapest Hotel, what they were trying to do there. And it's like, oh shit, I totally see it. That's rad. So yeah, I gotta recommend that one. I'll skip ahead to 50 years ago this week, Trouble Man came out with Robert Hoods and Paul Winfield. And I have to admit, I have never seen this film because its score is so good. I kind of feel like I don't have to. And I got to side with Falcon when he recommended this to Captain America, the Trouble Man soundtrack by Marvin Gaye. One of the best song scores of all time. And I almost stood up and applauded when that happened in that one Marvel movie where he's like, oh yeah, you want to know about the all the time that passed? Listen to the Trouble Man soundtrack. And I was like, applause. I should probably bother seeing the movie. But I, like I said, I kind of feel like I don't have to. I feel like I've watched it by my ears. And then my one spooky season thing. I can't believe the synergy of this. JR just brought up Feud, the miniseries that was on FX about the making of Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. Because guess what turned 60 this week? Whatever Happened to Baby Jane starring Betty Davis and Joan Crawford trying to outbitch each other. And oh, I don't know who wins. I mean, Betty Davis definitely has the showier role. She is truly a terrifying, terrifying figure of a former child star who is now, well, a hag, I suppose, is probably the best way to put it. But it's a creepy-ass thriller. It moves a little slow for modern tastes, but it's also camp as hell. And I have to recommend Feud with Jessica Lang and Susan Sarandon. They dug into both of the actors because they were so both very interesting people from very interesting backgrounds. And it's kind of about, like, what hollywood does to people and playing women against each other where if they had teamed up they'd probably be like world presidents by now with like robot bodies and shit i don't know so i seriously recommend that as a double feature whatever happened to baby jane and then watch feud uh, i think it's on hulu right now it's a multi-part miniseries everyone is so good in it oh my god that's it for this week stay classic 
my back, the truth on my tongue. I had the money in my hand when that alarm got wrong. We wanna refine freedom from my lungs. The homeland security, we are the bomb. Coming in at 2012 with a magic clap by the coup off of Sorry to Bother You, which is named after the screenplay Boots Riley was finishing at the time. Great give, movie. Jesus, I love give, Sorry to Bother You. Give him six years or so. Oh, Sorry to Bother You. So good. Welcome to 2012, everyone. October 28th through uh, the 3rd. Other new music releases include R.E.D. by Neo, Psychedelic Pill by Neil Young, and Crazy Horse. Neil Young. Well, to uh Dreams and Nightmares by Meek Mill. Uh, New Horizons by Flyleaf, and of course, One More Night by Maroon 5 is still number one. Man, I don't want to go too far in this segment, but it's something I feel like we should talk about. I'm going to skip this big news item and save it for the last. Google's Gmail becomes the world's most popular email service. I'm guessing unseating Hotmail. Oh, I love my Hotmail account. Anytime I have to sign up for a stupid fast food app, Walmart app, <laughs> there my Hotmail's always there for me. Yeah, everyone, get a burner email account that you just mm-hmm. sign up for everything with and mm-hmm. then never, ever look at it, you know. Yep. Um, Gmail became number one because they gave you one gigabyte yeah. of storage when most other companies were giving you four megabytes of storage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, most of our younger listeners won't believe that, but you ha- used to have to manage your email. You have to be like, well, this isn't important enough. Delete, delete, delete. And it was a big time sink going, which of these emails are important, which are not. And with Google, it was unless you started sending huge files, it was just like, yeah, never delete anything ever. It was launched on April 1st. So people thought that one gigabyte was a prank. They thought it was an April Fool's joke. I mean, are we, are we still in the era of the like, man, you can only have eight pictures on your MySpace until the Transformers movie comes along and buys you some more bandwidth. No, that was several years ago. But that was the case, yeah. But yeah, yeah. They've gone from success to success. The only hiccup was there was a brief hoo-ha over them basing their advertising on what you wrote in your emails. Mm -hmm. And people went, no, don't do that. And they went, we respect your privacy. And then a few years later, when people had given up the dream of internet privacy, they went, we're doing that again. And (laughs) And we probably always, always been doing that. I mean, let's not talk about having Chrome as a browser. Oh, my goodness. I still need to switch to Firefox. Indeed. and uh, You should. That's what Mitt Romney was calling for in 2012, <laughs> debating President Obama. But uh, Mitt Romney also this week calls Russia's, Russia America's biggest threat, which I remember being yep. played a lot around another election. But um, People made fun of that, including yeah. President Obama, Here's- who said this. When you were asked, what's the biggest geopolitical threat facing America, you said Russia, not al-Qaeda. You said Russia. In the 1980s are now calling to ask for their foreign policy back because you know, the Cold War has been over for 20 years. Yeah. From a 2022 standpoint, he was absolutely correct. Russia was a bigger threat than uh, al-Qaeda or ISIS. It was. It was a. All right. It is a nuclear power with five thousand nuclear weapons, and it had a history of attacking its neighbors, and it kept attacking its neighbors after this. All right, I'm gonna have to open up my old dock and put one pro under Mitt Romney. This is big news for everyone who's a big fan of Willow out there. Walt Disney purchases Lucasfilm. <laughs> I, I know you are I'm the hugest fan of Willow. I love Willow. Walt Disney purchases Lucasfilm Limited and its rights for Star Wars and the Indiana Jones franchises for $4.05 billion, which I'll never get over as 
even years afterwards, we'd see acquisitions like Facebook buys draw anything for more than that. Activision buys the Candy Crush people for like three times that. I was just doing the math and found out when Ted Turner bought the entire MGM back catalog yeah. inclu- and, and somehow got Looney Tunes in there. Yeah. That was worth, and in 1986, about $4 billion in 2022. Wow money because i the only thing I, I tried to base it on just to get gone with the wind and wizard of oz yeah i feel like you should spend four billion dollars and i believe nickelodeon bought everything ninja turtles for 60 million dollars so it's weird to think God. of like ip worth less than companies but here we are alvin and the chipmunks is on sale yeah for like 350 million dollars so Always. alvin and the chipmunks is a tenth of star wars <laughs> what the heck this is the biggest deal in entertainment purchasing history. You think bigger you know? than Marvel and Disney? I feel like Marvel and Disney might be bigger, but it's like okay. the same price. I, I think it's yeah. I, I think it's, Here's the, it's thing. the same in price, Marvel, but it's bigger because Marvel's gambit ended up being a little more lucrative. Yeah, in yeah. 2012, Publicly. which was when both these things happened, uh, Disney bought Marvel in 2012 and Lucasfilm in 2012. Mm-hmm. And... You had the success of the Avengers, sure, but maybe that would have been the end. You know, maybe mm-hmm. that was all they could have gone at. Star Wars is such a cultural cafe mm-hmm. in the year 2012 that I really feel it was a big, big win for them. A, yeah. a like steal. And I looked into the inner story of this. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing. It almost didn't happen. George Mm. Lucas was invited to the Brown Derby restaurant at MGM Studios (laughs) to have a private dinner with Bob Eigner. Mm -hmm. He was told that he didn't have any heirs. There was no one at the time to take over the Lucasfilm franchise. And so that he should pick the company that he thinks would take the best care of Star Wars. Mm -hmm. And Eigner said, look at Pixar. We purchased Pixar. We kept the Pixar spirit. We helped develop. And, and I, I wrote at the time in articles about both Marvel and Star Wars acquisitions, look at the Muppets, because they let the Muppets operate exactly how they always have. Where we are now, they're totally overshadowed. I think they forget they own them. But they let, you know, Mupp- no one voices these characters but Muppeteers, but whatever. They kept everything authentic to the Muppets, and the two movies that came out were successful and good. So, like, okay. And, but George said, I'm willing to sell it to you, but I've got to keep creative control. And Bob was like, nope. I can't justify to my shareholders giving you $4 billion and Disney not having creative control. So there was a lot of back and forth and back and forth, and it all came down to taxes. Yay! Because due to some tax laws, if George did not sell in 2012, he would have to pay an additional $500 million in capital gains taxes. Jesus Christ. So he decided at the end of the day to sell his legacy so that he would have $4.2 billion instead of $3.7 billion. <laughs> now that is a lot of money. Don't get me wrong. But explain to me how his life would have been the slightest bit different yeah. if he would have had $3.7 billion Instead of four point two billion, I'm not <laughs> sure it was about because the things I read, like he was looking to leave, and like he was, and, and, but he mm-hmm. still wanted control. He he wanted to keep track of it. And at the very end, Iger said, "You know what? I can't give you creative control, but I want to buy your treatments, George." 
I want yeah. to buy your treatments for the next Star Wars. And George was like, well, okay. And <laughs> so as part of the deal, he sold the treatments. Bob Iger said, thank you very much for these. I'll just store them next to the Ark of the Covenant and never <laughs> look at them again. It's interesting to read what was in Lucas's treatments because they sound weird and bad. The but wills, that's George. The wills. It, it, let's yeah, a journey the to the bloodstream. The wills. wills. Yeah. Okay. I actually like the idea that what we are seeing in Star Wars is the tale of the past as seen from the future. That the journey of the wills is actually far, far in the future of Star Wars, mm -hmm. and they're looking back. I like that. I think that's a cool concept. I think you could play around with that narratively. And I probably would have thought his treatments were more interesting than what we got. Shots fired. No, I'm no, sorry. that's that's the next question. After the, the I, I wanted to point out because I was remember re reading articles about this because Disney wasn't necessarily quiet about this. We're going to purchase this for four billion dollars and immediately put Episode Seven into production. The thing mm -hmm. people has been asking George Lucas to do for almost thirty years and. And they did, and then they just quietly whispered, like, we're going to make, like, $2 billion in merchandise on this single movie alone. This was mm -hmm. a sweetheart deal. Like, the like in hindsight, you should be able to go back in time, one of us, and make a PowerPoint for a bank to give us $5 billion to outbid <laughs> Disney. Because it was worth way more than what Lucas let it go for. But I did want to ask you, because at that point, the brand was pretty dormant. We all wanted to see Episode mm -hmm. seven. At most everybody liked episode seven where do you see now is this a good or a bad thing that you think oh, it's happened? a great thing disney plus yeah. is their big money maker and disney plus is a star wars machine numerous star wars tv show that star wars fans like oh my gosh people what? no what? star wars fans hate everything star wars that's why they're star wars fans sometimes I, I i i miss i miss the movie aspect of star wars yeah. and it doesn't yeah, I, look I, like that's coming back anytime soon what happened was disney said we want to marvelize star wars mm -hmm. they tried that with rogue one which i maintain is, is the excellent best of the new star wars films. as is andor is the andor is the best show of mm -hmm. the new Star Wars Disney crops. So they can do good stuff with Star Wars, but then they tried it with Han Solo, which is eh. Okay. And they were like, okay, we're not doing this. And I think that's short-sighted because Solo had numerous behind-the-scenes conflicts, and I think it could have been a lot better. But honestly, if they go Star Wars is a high-quality television series from now on, I've enjoyed what I've seen. So with Star so Trek, I can't complain. It's hard to yeah, see so Star, Star Trek, Trek. As, as a as a film property ever again at this point, but it's been pretty decent. There's like eight shows on the air now. I, I, I the thing I think will be interesting to look back on is I kind of don't like them playing this much in the margins because it feels safe. Safe, like here's all the stuff that happened in between the stuff you like, and like I don't know, like we were most excited for. Star Wars moving forward. That's why Seven was so exciting. And maybe you liked Last Jedi, maybe you didn't. If you didn't, you're wrong because Rise of Skywalker is fucking terrible. That's <laughs> yeah, one of the yeah. worst movies I've ever seen. And and so I have seen Rise of Skywalker mm -hmm. once in theaters, and that's it. Yep, three Me times. The three fact times that yeah. I have never felt the need to revisit a mainline Star Wars movie is insane. Do you realize how many times I've watched Phantom Menace? It is an embarrassing <laughs> oh, no. number. Yeah, it is legit embarrassing. Yeah, it's, it's many, many more times. More than one. It's actually more than two. The first time you think it's a fluke, and the second time you're like, "No, I was right. That's awful." And I, I, I very much like three times or more. 
you suck. I very much like Mandalorian because yeah. I, I love that that is playing in a good way. I don't I don't know about this character. I don't know what he does. I don't know who his little baby friend is. I don't know any of any about this. And anytime they did fan service, it was tended to be to kill it or eat it. And <laughs> and then I saw that Obi Wan show. I'm like, oh, this sucks. This is what people thought Disney was going to do with Star Wars. This looks cheap. This is bad. This is nostalgia for nostalgia's sakes. Doesn't make a ton of sense. And then Andor came in and like, this is great again. <laughs> I think this is amazing. Never mind. And get, yeah. it just, just, but I think getting Star Wars, I don't even want to say out of George Lucas's control, but like just not making it all his burden. That was a lot to ask of a 70 year old man. And okay. Yeah. So, this is, well, so, I think that's why he sold it for only $4 billion when I'm sure he could have gotten more is trusting who he's selling it to. Mm hmm. He wanted to sell to I, Disney, period. He didn't yeah. want to sell it to anybody else. Yeah, I feel like if you sell it to somebody else, you know, they he has a pre-existing deal with Disney going mm -hmm. back decades, you yep. know, when did Star Tours start? Uh, 1987 or something mm -hmm. like that? Yeah, he, he knows how they think. And, and the, so, deep, the deep uh, irony, remember, is that George Lucas, his goal was like, I don't think movies are the way to go. I think it's making TV shows and nobody would help him fund this. <laughs> it was too early. It was absolutely too Now we have coming a fucking Willow show. Mm -hmm. A goddamn Willow fucking show. Willow I wanted to bring this up because, yes, at the time they said this is 95% Star Wars based. Mm -hmm. yeah. I do not believe if George had kept on to the company we would have a fairly big budget Willow show that I am more excited to watch than I was excited to watch House of the Dragon or Rings of Power. I am legit serious. I am there with you. I looked at that Will Willow show, and it looks more entertaining and more good than those other shows. So yeah. I am fully on board. I'm going to have like a Willow night. I'm, I'm super happy that Willow is coming back. Yeah. And next up, Radioland Murders. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love it. And then maybe right. maybe a little uh, twice. One, one, three, nine. Yeah. Thrice upon a time, I made the most obscure <laughs> Lucas film. In. You could make a really dark sequel to THX one, one, three, eight. Oh, hell yeah. Hey, but here's, here's, it's funny here's, that out of all of these, we feel like the Indiana Jones franchise is actually the. I don't know how much more we can make because it's hard to pass sticking. That. No, it's not. James Bond has passed the hat yeah. many, many times. Harrison Ford is not the only person to play Indiana Jones well. Sean Patrick Flannery was a good, River solid Phoenix. Indiana Jones. River, River Phoenix, Phoenix ruled. Ruled as Indiana Jones. We have a history of this. I mm. don't want to see an 80-year-old Indy. That is the old yep. Indiana Jones Chronicles. I don't want to see that. I, Where's the I, eye patch? Yeah. Where's the eye? I, he better Where's goddamn get an eye patch in that final film. Yeah, pass the cool. torch. Have cool. someone else play it. There are tons of great actors who could play Indiana Jones just that well because secret Indiana Jones is not that deep of a character. Mm. <laughs> He's not. He belongs at a museum. <laughs> I, 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 I can't. I can't see in terms of just like getting more star wars stuff with which george wasn't very good about outside of outside of some cartoons and merchandise wasn't very good about and we finally did yeah, well, we we talked about when he finally announced the prequel trilogy everyone crapped their pants because we everyone figured we'd never see it again yeah it was free and done that was it however i think i cannot wait to look at this with like a even more than 10 years bird's eye view, but the canonization of everything and the non-canonization of other things, oh. that universe was fun to 
play in and why put all this pressure on yourself to make everything official? And that's only coming good friend of mine just got back from the parks. Those parks, that park, Batu, Galaxy's Edge, it's like, it's canon too. Yeah, it's canon to what you didn't know you wanted to do between seven and eight or eight and nine. And some of the stuff that happens there doesn't make a lick of sense Have you, if you've seen Rise of Skywalker, and it's got to sit there forever. That shit was, like, never going to change. This this obsession with canon and what we can bring in and what we can't is just a okay. little silly. I mean, oh, is oh, the yeah, Dread right? oh, no, TV show the... canon? Is the We're Ewok so cartoon much, but... TV show? No. Is, no. Is, no? No, it's all legends. It's all declared. Anything but the movies. There were so many novels and yeah. so many graphic novels. I, if, you're, if you're not clear, like the, when Disney bought Star Wars, they made everything that wasn't the six movies non-canon. They became Star Wars legends. They still sell them, but they don't follow yeah. up on them. There's a lot of great comic series that never got followed up. A bunch of, and they, Sorry, Thrawn. No, no, no. That's the thing. When a character's popular awesome. enough, they introduce the character <laughs> back into canon anyway. But it, they made Which is just... exactly how they should do it, okay? The yeah. Marvel method is solid. Marvel, the MCU has 60 years worth of stories to come from Mm -hmm. pick and choose the best ones that work with the story you're working and move on i think i would say that definitively once i see what they do with the x-men which right now is still wildly up in the air but it's again as a star wars fan and someone who's like very suspicious of all corporate consolidation this is never good because all it takes is like if kathleen kennedy was mark zuckerberg she could tank this whole fucking thing in a week and Disney would get bored of it and they'd be oh. holding on to Star Wars and nothing would happen to it forever. Like the fucking Muppets who don't get to do shit. Right. Now and, now I want to know, what is the Star Wars equivalent of the metaverse? <laughs> I don't know. Um, the metaverse looks to be the biggest money loser in corporate history. Yes. Mm. Yes. It's, I've but always... there's legs coming. <laughs> legs. <laughs> you know, legs. like Second Life had in 2004. Oh my! Oh, but I, I think we can all agree we have enjoyed Star Wars under the Disney umbrella, even though, like, I'm not sure it's totally safe there. I've oh, enjoyed I, some I... of Star Wars, mm. and I I disagree. Mm. I think Star Wars has such a built-in brand that Disney is going to find a way to milk it until the end of the time. Comparing it to the Muppets is not comparable. I mean, they've, they've milked a half-naked duck dressed as a sailor from the 30s for this long. Who Why not? in fights. Yes, yes. Yeah. They, they've done more miraculous things. It's just like, I don't know, man. It's just like wringing the sponge on this thing I always wanted. But Andor, again, right? We should do the regular show. Andor right oh, now is oh. the best Star Wars show I've seen, period. Yeah, well, that's a, that's a good example of like my my fear. I fear media consolidation. Yes. You know, all these like beloved legacy IPs going to somewhere where they're just, you know, going to turn it into garbage. But Disney is smart because they do have the buying power to get a Tony Gilroy to yeah. come in to do the Andor show. Which is not someone I was expecting them we did to get. One. Mm-hmm. I guess, but I, I and our buddy Gary Whitta, yes, uh, but but yeah, yeah, a, a great move, and that show is amazing. Let's bring in people who know what the hell they're doing. I, the last thing I'll say about it, it was something my friend's daughter said. She's like, "Are Marvel and Star Wars in the same universe?" I'm like, "No, yet. I yet. bet this the second this craze dies." It absolutely will be. Oswald. It will be. Here we go. And, and 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 her mother was like, "No, that'll never happen." I'm like, 
Yes, it will. These are all, like Spielberg said, these are all genres that will peter out and they'll they'll be popular in other places. Maybe preschoolers will only like She-Hulk 30 years in the future. <laughs> the only way to get them in movie theaters is to combine them together and they will. They will do that and it scares the hell out of me, but like I'm getting a little boner just thinking about it, like Star Wars and Marvel in the same universe. I mean, in comic books, they had the X-Men meet Star Trek. Star Trek, yes. I mean, so, all right, this is something uh, wow this discussion is going on but i'm going to yeah. throw this out there all right media is not as important as it was during the age of the monoculture okay True. we have far too much of it okay so it's more accurate to think of our modern media lens as comics in the 1990s there's going to be some comics that do things you don't like and guess what right you can ignore them. Mm -hmm. You don't have to read them. You don't have to you read Secret just... Wars in every issue of Wonder Man. You can just follow nope. the main arc. And... You can just toss it aside and only consume the media that gives you pleasure. Mm -hmm. This is the way. This is the way. This is the way. <laughs> We've gone, but it's it's just. In, I don't think we'll. I, I don't know that we'll see another deal like that in uh, Universal and Warner Brothers merge two years from now. But until then, I don't think we'll see another act of corporate consolidation like Disney buying Star Wars. And it, I wanted to bring it up because I feel like we'll get on that subject in a second. Let's talk about the movies of 2012, October 28th through uh, November 3rd. We have a lot to go through right now. Let's man. just let's burn through the ones we haven't seen. Okay. Let's let's burn through a couple of these. Chris, Deadfall. There you go. Deadfall is about the aftermath of a heist uh, with Eric Bana, Olivia Wilde, Charlie Hunnam, Sissy Space, Chris Christopherson. I love those. I, I actually love these people. Um, yeah. And uh, the reviews were sort of meh, but it ties in in a really weird way with the movie we're going to talk about because the writer mm. got the idea when he was on a plane that had a problem with his landing gear. Okay. I remember when this happened. It was it was a flight from uh, New York to Burbank. And because of the problem with the landing gear, they started just circling for hours trying to burn off fuel so that the plane would be lighter and there would be less shit to explode when it crash landed. And it crash landed and everybody was okay. But we're going to have another movie about a crash landing this week and that's really weird. Yes. Okay, this one's a strange one that I actually have seen. This must be the place with Sean Penn, Francis McDormand, and Judd Hirsch of all people. Mm -hmm. You might have seen what Sean Penn looks like in this. He looks like robert smith from the cure like a hundred percent robert smith from the cure <laughs> <laughs> yeah he looks like susie sue he's he he plays a former rock star like a gothy rock star so he's got this black head of hair that's just it looks like bushes and like black eyeliner and stuff but yeah he plays this goth rocker whose dad is dying he goes to see him and he finds out like his dad was a holocaust survivor and then he be, decides like i'm gonna find the motherfucker that hurt my dad mm -hmm. back in the camp and that's obviously going to be a very, very old person as well. And kind of getting into the family trauma and the history thereof. And like all Sean Penn things, you hate him, but God damn it, he's so good at what he does, even when he looks fucking ridiculous. So yeah, this must be the place. Pretty good. The details. Look at this fucking cast. I know. Toby Maguire, Elizabeth Banks, Dennis Haysbert, Ray Liotta, Carrie Washington, Laura Linney. Very black comedy about uh, a suburban family. Has anyone watched, did any of you guys watch any of these, by the way? No, no. Okay. Just checking. There's too so, many this week. Uh, yeah, there's a lot. So the details, uh, very black comedy about uh, Toby Maguire ends up cheating on his wife. And then everyone's blackmailing everyone else and everyone's cheating with everyone else. And it had a lot of good parts. So I didn't watch yeah. this, but the thing that almost got me to watch it was a summary where 
Toby Maguire blames his family's destruction on raccoons and that the right. raccoons are the problems in his home life, blind yeah. to the actual cracks in his marriage. And the raccoons are there because they put down fresh grass that has worms in it. And the raccoons are just swarming his house, going after the worms. So it is his fault. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it, very strange. Barely came out. Black comedies are always really hard. And this one I thought was like, okay. I watched it quite a while ago. I apologize. And we have a movie I kind of wish I did watch because I'm very confused about The Bay starring Will Rogers, not the old one, but a newer one. Kristen Connolly, uh, Kether Donahoe, which is an environmental horror film about an outbreak. So... That's part of why I didn't want to watch it. That starts killing people, and it turns out it's it, it's, it's man-made environmental disaster with these like bugs that come and take over your tongue. Yeah, and I was like, it's, oh, that it's sounds super gross. Based on a real a real parasite that takes over fishes, it eats the fish's tongue, and then it becomes the new tongue on the fish until it kills the fish. So that's a real thing that exists yeah. in the real world. And the premise is basically, what if this happens to humans? And yeah. it's a found footage film, which right. why is found footage only sci-fi and horror? What? Hmm. Why isn't there like a found footage rom-com? What would you want to find a, like a like a ooh. baseball movie, a sports kickball movie? <laughs> yeah, well, found footage rom-com. That yeah, there's a way you could do that. Yeah, it, it's told from different viewpoints. I was filming like... this couple everywhere they went for years. <laughs> no, in the age of Facebook and live <laughs> true, streaming true, true. and blogging, you could have someone who's like, "Yeah, I'm a professional blogger." Really, me too. And mm. it's just meet yeah. cute. It's yeah. you've got mail, but via Zoom. There you go. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. No, I was just surprised that the Bay is directed by Barry Levinson. Yeah. Who's uh Adam's family had a oh, very no, no, no. very strange career. But good morning, you know, we're Vietnam. We're going to talk about toys. Uh, right. It's Christmas season, but sleepers and wag the dog and good morning, Rain Man. <laughs> And Diner, He's, I don't think he'd ever done a horror movie before, unless he counts Fear, which is just stupid. <laughs> yeah. I'm with you. Uh, it's supposed to be okay. The the Bay, you know, some people just complained about the found footage thing, which is, that's fair. First of all, that's what I call my, that's what I call my girlfriend. Second, that's what I'm calling my biopic about Michael Bay. So I don't care. The Bay. The Bay. Okay. Let's get to the heavy Movies hitters. we have seen. Literally yeah, uh, mm. a heavy hitter. <laughs> Descriptive title, The Bay, very vague. <laughs> this title, The Man with the Iron Fist. Yes, Russell Crowe, Lucy Liu, Dave Batista, Riza, uh, Byron Mann, uh, Kung Lee, and Rick Yoon, Man with the Iron Fist. Quentin Tarantino presents... Warriors! We'll see who's left standing and who's on their knees. The new legends of Kung Fu. Some pleasure before business? You a business. Ooh, uh, I love Riz's score in Kill Bill. It is mm -hmm. unbelievably great. Uh, but it's like I didn't grow up with kung fu films, and that the the you know the scene in Kill Bill one, like I was one of the few people like is this over yet. Like this, <laughs> there's all, all this other parts of the movie before the this. Scene at the end, not the that? not at the end, but just like the not, not the, the crazy eighty eight. The crazy eighty eight sequence. Like I thought, you know. <laughs> It goes on a long time. And, I, and, and like, I love Riz's contribution. Obviously, I'm uh, Wu-Tang forever. Eli Roth wrote the screenplay. Quentin Tarantino wanted to help, to help get, like, basically a movie based on that sequence into theaters and did. And it wasn't reviewed terribly, but it is very much like a, yeah, kung fu homage to Wire Fu. And it's just like, I got bored. 
<laughs> but, really? Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, maybe, yeah, the, I feel like I would blame it on lack of nostalgia for Shaw Brothers yeah, movies. Yeah, sure. But, I mean, if you've seen Tarantino stuff, you've seen homages to Shaw Brothers enough. I know, no, but 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 yeah. when I even watch some old Shaw Brothers, I'm like, how the fuck did they do that? I don't have any how did they do that moments with this film. Like, oh, we know how they more. did that now, but, yeah. Yeah. I this is what I really appreciate. This is such an old fashioned mm-hmm. kung fu movie dressed up really crazy. I mean, the costumes and the sets and everything is just ridiculously over the top. Uh, yeah, co written and directed by the Riza, who just spent a whole bunch of time on the Kill Bill set at his own expense, just mm-hmm. studying how do, you, how do you direct a movie? Because I really yeah. like these movies. Obviously, the Wu Tang Clan is obsessed with kung fu. What? I know, right. What? And um, for, for, you know, uh, a, a, a yeah sort of novice director i think he does a pretty yeah good i should job. say that it's, it's not that the movie is especially good mm-hmm. but it is kind of nuts yeah and so i can't say i was bored it was kind of like a kung fu uh version of shit what was the movie i was just thinking of kung fu hustle ah, no not kung fu hustle oh, sorry fuck somebody else talk i'll go back to it JR, uh, are I... kung fu movies damaging for society? Your thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> Wrong! Wrong! Uh, <laughs> so kung fu movies are something that I've never been a huge fan of. I've seen a couple. <laughs> They're good for moderation. I think I can yeah. see one, maybe two kung fu movies a year, and then I'm good. I never really got into the genre, so I can't say this drew me in at all. That, that's fair where i was trying to go with and it's not just the presence of russell crowe doing something silly it's kind of like a kung fu quick in the dead oh where okay. it's an homage but it's also so hyper stylized and over the top that it's sort of like it's a lot of people are just gonna think well this is just so stupid like this is just dumb or it's like i it's like like i said it's not that good but i have to lightly recommend it just because they're doing something so weird right. and going for it and, and like you know i've watched once upon a time in hollywood a bunch and like if you you know grew up watching 50s tv and it just like obsessing over radio it you do know the special part that movie was for me whereas like i didn't have you are the kung fu person diana like uh in terms of somehow this podcast happened, yes again didn't hate it it's just like I tend to like stop seeing it's like I love wrestling documentaries the story the characters and when people just wrestle like eventually I stop seeing it and start thinking about what I'm doing tomorrow like I just Mm. I yeah when people are just fighting and shit next up we have from one of my favorite directors Melissa Leo Don Cheadle Kelly Riley uh John Goodman Bruce Greenwood Nadine Velasquez Brian Garrity and Denzel Washington in Flight Captain Whitaker, you're not going to make me spend another night in Orlando. Don't worry, I will get you home. I've got control. You're a hero, man. There is a small problem. You had alcohol in your system. He's going to jail. You saved my mom. This thing is so heavy, it's killed me. What are you doing? Someone put me in a broken plane. Someone has to pay. You think you'd be alive if I wasn't flying that plane? Flight. Flight. Um, we, we cannot escape movies about alcoholism. <laughs> or or plane crashes. No. Or plane crashes. So, yeah, you said... Hmm, universe sending a message. Oh, no. Yeah, because uh, I... I, yeah, like I, said, I actually... Robert, Robert Zemeckis, his return to live-action filmmaking yeah. after 12 years? Certain... And his previous movie was Castaway, which is also about a plane crash. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, Robert Zemeckis was off doing his, uh, his mocap animated stuff. His, Mars uh, needs moms. 
goddamn Polar Express and uh, uh, Christmas Carol and Beowulf. And Beowulf. Those were his last unforgettable films we talk about every day. What a strange sidetrack for him. Yeah. You know, what a just like, I'm driving in the lane of success. Well, that's that's the thing. Like, it's why I love Robert Zemeckis. Robert Zemeckis tends to relish in what is hard and what is difficult to film. And like, if you didn't see The Walk, he will pioneer a way of shooting this just to make this story, which is you can anybody could tell, but he wants to shoot it interestingly. I'm not sure where that where flight comes into that, but like, uh, yeah, I wanted to make mocap, want to do Who Framed Roger Rabbit, time travel, Back to the Future, and let's say use cars. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> But well, I love yeah, the guy's and this is his record. first R-rated movie since Used Cars in 1980. It's so weird. Whoa. Just, it's, also, I saw an amazing clip of the, it's the, the commentary first... track on Used Cars. Mm-hmm. It's just Kurt Russell laughing at the movie the whole time. It He's was... just having so much fun. Like, oh, that part was so funny. It's definitely his I first movie him. since Used Cars with titties. Yeah, it opens with titties. Titties. Flight, I thought, like, this is going to be an extravagant flight sequence, and I watched it on an iPad. Did anybody see it on a tele? Like, I haven't seen it. I I think I saw it in theaters. I Um, saw it on a big screen TV. The effect still works on a big screen TV. It's a hell of a plane crash. Yeah. Hell of a... I like that they don't show you the plane that much. It's very Not from the outside. You are... Yeah, uh, sorry, that they don't show the outside plane. It's the inside, and you're seeing the terror, the shark terror. There is an amazing moment, and it's so brief, where uh, Denzel tells one of the flight attendant, what's your son's name? Give him a message. What? Why? Black box. Black box. That's pretty great. And you can see mm. the thoughts on her face. Like, oh, crap. This is my one chance to say something to my son before I will probably die. And she just gives it. And then he's back to his job of making sure everyone doesn't die. Yeah. And Tamara Tooney, I should have put her in the credits because she's one of my favorite people. It just pops up. Is so good in this movie. And then just soop, gone. I'm good. Yeah. I, I love the crash sequence right after that. They, I mean, this this uh, engine's on fire. Then this engine's on fire. They roll the plane upside down because the 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 tail is broken, so they can't. They're they're in a constant dive. They roll it over again, and they've lost all power. And and the sound just drops out of everything, and they're just gliding yeah. towards this freaking church. And you're like, oh, and like even the <laughs> the, the actor's like, well, this is it. <sighs> We're, that's the end of me but, yes this is it for old whip Whitaker. that's his name i did i did very sadly reach out to my uncle the pilot of such planes because mm-hmm. the, the movie is based on a thing that it was interesting yeah. that it's an interesting way to get inspired to write something the uh, alaskan flight one of the last black box recordings are like we're inverted we're upside down we're inverted and nobody survived and i asked my uncle like is this really a fucking maneuver? He's like, you will lose altitude constantly upside down. Look, if it doesn't just turn around a point like in the movie, if he had done it at 5,000 feet off the ground, then maybe. But he had he knows the term, an alien roll to uh, invert it and then back again, that low would have resulted in a smoking hole in the ground. Okay, uh, well, movie, 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 movie. and Movie invalid. Just kidding. It's not important yeah. in the slightest. Well, no, the, that's not the point because... This the, the ads of this movie kind of lie to you about yeah. what it's about. Yes. <laughs> because you think it's just about the crash, the investigation, what actually went wrong. Are we going to maybe Rashomon it, get everyone's different points of view? No. This is about how Denzel Washington's character is a functioning alcoholic and drug a addict. Ridiculously 
high functioning yeah. addict because there's right. a key point in this movie where the skeezy lawyer says, you know, we've had a hundred pilots simulate that situation you were in and every one of them died. And also, and- also when he says like, you think he's going to lie to Don Cheadle, his lawyer, and he's like, look, man, I just had a bunch of booze that day and had some cocaine to straighten me out. It's like, I get it. I'm like, I wish I had a job where I could take cocaine to straighten myself out. And, the, and my lawyer would say, I get it. All good. Well, all good. A, a running theme of this movie. There are three different instances where the way to sober yourself up is to do coke and everything's okay. okay. Do cocaine. Wow. Don Cheadle's characters. Oh, so good. His job is to get scumbags to not face the consequences of their actions. And yeah. he is disgusted by Denzel Washington. Yeah. Yeah. He just loathes the guy. I love that detail because normally you just see, oh, he's a sleazy lawyer and he doesn't care who he hurts and whatever. It's like, no, he he has morals. Yeah, He's just choosing to do this job. And his job yeah. is, you're despicable and I fucking hate you. But it's my so, job. But it's my job. So give me permission to 86 the talk screen that shows that you were absolutely drunk and high when the crash happened. Yeah. And then they can't use it. It's mm-hmm. inadmissible. All right. Yeah. I somehow I somehow fashioned it that maybe the shit wasn't in his system when this happened. But I I think no. when I when I first oh, watch it, well, no, there's a crucial scene yes on the airplane where, where he's Robert dumping vodka he's, he's wants you to notice that because yeah. it's not mentioned again for like an hour and 45 minutes but he like pays super close attention to it with his directorial skills that you will remember an hour and 45 minutes later when they bring up the vodka and it's like oh yeah he did that yes mm-hmm. the vodka was drank on the fucking plane and for that yeah. how do you escape mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, it, it's a it's a script that had been around for a little bit uh, by John Gaddens, who wanted to write about his own experience with alcohol, kind of like you were talking about a couple of weeks ago with Smash Jr. Mm-hmm. Like I, he hadn't seen his experience with alcoholism portrayed on yeah. screen, and so we see Denzel's character. He, first of all, he ha- never has a big crying scene where he explains like I drink because my daddy never loved me. Mm-hmm. No. no, no, he drinks because he wants to drink. He thinks he can handle. He thinks he is in control, and then there. A couple times where he's like, okay, no drinking. And he throws out all the drinking. And then several times some, something bad something happens. Up. And then he's like, oh, well, maybe just one. And then yeah. he's chugging from a gallon of, of gin. And you're like, oh, shit. Yeah. He, he has this idea that he can control it. And then he tries to stop. But the problem is he didn't replace his coping mechanism, which was alcohol, with anything. We never see him be like stressed and time for my run. We never see him stressed. (laughs) Time for my yoga. It's time for my stressed. Well, I've always drank alcohol in the past, so I guess I'm going back to that. Yeah, and there's a great scene where he's... He's sober, but he's really, really bored in a hotel room. And and they've cleaned out his fridge because they Mm -hmm. don't want him to drink. And then he gets into the room next door and opens up that mini fridge and it's shot like a fucking cathedral. Like, Oh, it's so beautiful. All of the bottles. And he takes just one out and he sniffs it like, Oh yeah, maybe. Oh, I don't know. And then cut to, he has destroyed both hotel rooms and every bottle is empty. It's like, yeah, he can't control it. It is an illness. I would say that this is almost like a horror movie where the alcohol is the monster. The monster. Um, yeah. Can we blame John Goodman instead? Because John Goodman plays Satan. It's a hell of an enabler. He really is. The, the, the 
<laughs> he, it, tells it, okay, here's yeah. my problem though. Zemeckis, since Forrest Gump, his needle drops are always the most obvious needle oh, drop. Oh, dude, possible. they were the the fucking man, like boomer radio horseshit. I, yeah, when John Goodman starts walking in and Sympathy for the Devil starts playing, I'm like, oh come on, guys. Yeah, John Goodman plays his dealer, and he is fantastic. And if you're a fan of Community and wanted to know, why did he have that beard and that long ponytail? <laughs> He disappeared for an episode and he came back and it's like, why does he have a French braid long ponytail? Because that was his hair for flight. That was his look. That's wow. right. He, 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 he was going flight. through some things. Uh, He's going you through know, some things. <laughs> so my headcanon is that they are the same characters. Hell yeah. And the John Goodman character from Community just had to do a couple of drug deals before he could go back to air conditioning repair. <laughs> I love but it. Yeah. Yeah. The thing is, that's his only friend. Yeah. yeah. His dealer. His dealer is his only friend, and he's actually, within the confines of their relationship, a trustworthy friend. Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. Denzel asked him to take a package from his refrigerator, yep. John Goodman does so, and hands him, I don't know, $20,000 in cash? Yeah. So yeah, I think it's... those guys. He's like, either his started... only, he's either his only client or his oldest client. Mm. Yeah. You, you, you usually don't be, get to be that old, uh, that level of drug dealing, unless you're white John Goodman. Take care of himself. Not going to get shot automatically. Mm. Big guys. Yeah. Saying. But no, I was, uh, you know, most of the word on flight is, oh, Denzel is amazing in it. And yeah, of course he is. Yeah. It's just like, I don't he, even know why it's called flight. Can... Cause it's like, it has so little to do with like flying. Like, yeah, the, the mean, trailer made it out plane. to be like it was going to be this this plane, and I thought Robert Zemeckis is interested in this because he's going to film an extravaganza of flight sequences. No, no, nope, no, not even nope. a little bit. It's about it's about the fallout of one flight. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I was uh, yeah, I was pleasantly surprised, honestly. Even though it goes in directions I wasn't anticipating, I thought just everybody is everybody's so good in it too. Like everyone just is batting a thousand even little guys like Bruce greenwood and stuff just mm -hmm. everyone doing a really good job i was very impressed honestly me too i thought it'd be kind of a bummer oscar bait kind of movie and said i was interested and entertained yeah i think it it's was so highly high recommend for me yeah mm -hmm. so not non-oscar bait it didn't win anything except for like now, i'm gonna bring us all full circle this next movie i saw at the lucasfilm campus ah Ooh. and then afterwards they took us on a little bus to a reception at the Disney Family Museum. Oh, ah. so cool. And it was really cool. So cool. I don't know that I, I've never combined all of that with one thing. Yeah, man. That was, uh, and yeah, in case you don't know, the Lucas Campus would trade, even films in progress with Pixar and Disney, all the animators would. So if you know someone or there's a press invite, you can see something mm -hmm. pretty early. Now, this this was a press thing for the video game press. Right. Oh, it's a Sega which game. Which makes perfect sense. I was a plus one. Director Rich Moore was there. It's a name I recognize from a million Futurama and Simpsons and the Critic episodes. Big fan. And then when we went to the Disney Family Museum for the reception, they had full built cabinets of the game that we we're about to talk about here. And it was oh really yes, cool. they 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 toured the nation oh, and still do. Oh, They're oh, worth a ton oh, of money. Yeah, I played Fix money. It Felix Jr. and I suck at it. It's not a good game. It's an authentic game. Can we can we it's leave it? It's an authentic then? game, which means yeah. it's not a good game. Not true. Donkey Kong is excellent. Moving forward. Dude, it's just rampage in reverse. What? Uh, Dennis Haysbert, Ed O'Neill, Joe Latruglio, Mindy Kaling, Alan Tudix, Tudic, Jane Lynch, Jack McBrayer. Sarah Silverman and John C. Riley. Number one in the box office is Wreck It Ralph. 30 years I've been doing this. I'm gonna wreck it! I don't wanna be the bad guy anymore. 
Cameo after cameo mm -hmm. from these very famous cartoon characters. I'd say I don't think five minutes passes, maybe 10 at max in Roger Rabbit before you see some classic character. The classic video game characters or even the newer video game characters are all front loaded in Wreck-It Ralph. And, and you get about 15 minutes of them and then you get original IP with no connection to any pre-existing... Well, that's not why I think it's the video game Who Framed okay. Roger Rabbit movie. It's like, it, it, this is the video game version of Toontown. And this is mm -hmm. a, a not a video game story, but a different kind of story, whereas at heart of Who Framed Roger Rabbit is a 1940s noir story set around famous cartoon characters. And this is one of those, I'll say it, cheesy finding yourself DreamWorks plots set, <laughs> set amongst <laughs> a Who Framed Roger Ooh. Rabbit Toontown. Ooh little bit there's 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 a there's a bigger plot there at some point but like if we're talking about wreck it ralph's story like i just think i'm built for something bigger like every fucking cg cartoon is that is the plot of every one of them that's not pixar but beyond that it was just like it was nice to see nintendo let their characters do anything in a movie which has always been off limits and nintendo never cooperates with anybody watch an episode of nick arcade and find a nintendo game it never yeah. happens and it's so weird that they they had the rights. They could add Mario, and they never figured out where to cram him in, so they just left it. Sonic is there. No. Oh, yeah. They had the rights to Mario. They had the okay. I don't know that and that's they, the case. They couldn't figure out where, like, where did you? Because like, it even even Pixels Anywhere. didn't use Mario. <laughs> Anywhere. They got Bowser. He's at the bad guys meeting, which was great. Speaking of, again of more alcoholism and metaphors and stuff. They oh, yes. have the, the yeah. AA support group for bad guys. Yes. Okay. I love the Wreck-It Ralph bad guy chant. Yes. I'm bad and that's, that's good. good. I will never, never be good and that's, that's not bad. There's no one I'd rather be than me. That's, that's sweet. Okay. Yeah. That is a sweet, sweet message. I, I kind of like that in this film. And there's so many great moments. The references are cool. I mean, there'll be a moment where someone bumps Sonic and a bunch of rings spill out. Mm -hmm. They didn't have to do that, but they cared yeah. and they made it. You know, yeah. they bring you in. There's so they, many little things that as not a gamer, I wanted to pause and realize I'm not going to get them. You know, when they walk past like mm -hmm. a row of sketches of people or there's graffiti on a wall. And it's like, I know these are references. And yeah. I, I would I'm like to give it a go, shout out. Go look them out. I believe it bought Qbert multi-generational recognizability in a way that Qbert has not earned inside <laughs> video games in a very long time. Qbert, if anything, is one of the more major characters in this film, yeah. as opposed to any other yeah. licensed IP. But yeah, they bring you in with a promise of all those cameos and then they make you care about ralph yeah ralph is a fantastic character yes. by the end you are absolutely rooting for him you are along on his journey and king candy 
is the best Disney villain of the last He's 10 so years. Good. He's so good. All it took is being <laughs> Ed, doing Edwin again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, but <laughs> there's so many hints before he goes bad yeah. that he is bad. Mm-hmm. I mean, they really lay the breadcrumbs for you to discover. And when he goes bad, it's like, that makes perfect sense. I understand your motivation. Everything you have done up to this moment is logical and consistent with what I have just seen. Bravo movie. Yeah. I, I feel like the designers had a lot of fun because yeah. they're going from video game to video game and they're all very different styles of video game. So you've got, you know, the, um, not, not Metal Gear Solid. I don't Call know, of Duty bugs. Yeah. Yeah. The, the thing with um, lots and lots of shooting, you got the very, you know, kawaii ja- Japanese uh, girl racing game. That's just sugar rush. Cool. And, and that's, I love being in that world that is a world i've always wanted to see a movie set inside of. i would legit see the fix it felix game is all right it's fine it's a nice little nostalgic thing you're not going to play it for very long i could throw myself into a sugar rush game that looks amazing just a high budget mario clone in Candyland with a bunch of candy power-ups yeah what kid wouldn't want to play that yeah, just all I love that all the characters are very well defined. I love that uh, Jane Lynch and Jack McBrayer spend most of the movie doing a buddy comedy off on their own in mm-hmm. which they fall in love, which is so cute. Yeah. And I think going back and rewatching it, like I'd forgotten about the subplot about the alien bugs getting into other games because it does mm-hmm. disappear for a while in place. And in its place, there's a, like a lot of really nice character stuff with Sarah Silverman's character of Penelope, amazing. Wanting, yeah, Vanellope von Schweetz trying to like, you know, prove her worth and knowing like this is there is something I am meant to do. I am meant to be a driver. It's in my coding. Also, I don't know how to drive, <laughs> but I'm meant to be a driver. And so I'm going to build a car and then I'm going to learn, I guess. Like, so the only, yeah, the only, I, appreciate that. I, I think this movie is pretty great, pretty, un, pretty goddamn great. But it just, it, it, like the whole show leading up to talking about a Disney movie featuring crossovers from different franchises and corporate consolidation. And the, I think the next movie is kind of shitty in that, in that it abandons yeah, the it, video it game universe. The landing. It abandons the video game universe altogether, literally to show off corporate buyouts and mm-hmm. literally gives non Wreck-It Ralph characters the big moment of the movie which is fun because I love those characters. I'm trying not to spoil it for you, but it's like it abandons the term. Like, how cool would it be to have a fucking movie franchise set in video game land that we could readdress every couple of years? Instead, they squandered it on Ralph Breaks the Internet and no one's ever asked for it. I've heard no peep of the franchise ever again. All right. Well, what would Wreck-It Ralph 2, Wreck-It Ralph goes anywhere but the Internet, be? Like, you, you don't think there's any other stories to be told in the video game world? Well, he reached his arc. You know, it's like the Roger Rabbit problem. Roger Rabbit was a excellent. He didn't have an arc. Self-contained. Eddie Valiant had an arc. Eddie Valiant had an arc. Eddie Valiant learned to like tunes. But Eddie Valiant wasn't wasn't a tune. Ralph is. Okay. (laughs) I'm just saying the main character of Roger Rabbit is not Roger Rabbit. It's Eddie Valiant. Right. Eddie Valiant, as the protagonist, reached a logical, consistent end to his character arc at the end of the movie. I don't know where Eddie Valiant goes in Roger Rabbit. In the too. next movie, Ralph talks to everyone he likes to tell him he's abandoning them. <laughs> and all those characters and their stories are thrown away. But that's what I'm saying. The Wreck-It Ralph 2 of your dream, Wreck-It Ralph 
is the protagonist? What's his character arc? What can he grow at this point? Maybe he's got to be mayor of video game land. Don't make me the fucking screenwriter here. Give me a couple hours. I could come up with something. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Maybe okay. they're going to unplug him again. He's got to get uh, the band back together or okay. something, something. Okay, here it is. Wreck-It Ralph is going to be unplugged. He's got to modernize Fix-It, Feel-It. He's got to turn go. it into Look, you a did it. modern video game. He's got a Wreck-It Ralph <laughs> reboot. You call it that. Yeah. Boom. Disney. <laughs> boom. Give us the checks. Yeah. Boom. <laughs> Instead, we got what we got, which is like, I remember reading about it and I was just so excited. And then I saw it and like, that wasn't very good. And I bought it and watched it again. And like, that wasn't very good. I'm going to bear the wreck it, Ralph. I was hoping this is the dawn of a new thing. But I think that's both a corporate consolidation. Ralph doesn't matter anymore at all. Is it, do we make a wreck it, Ralph movie? Well, it could be a video game. Star Wars could be a better video game. Let's make a Star Wars thing. Things like Ralph get pushed by the side for uh, corporate consolidation. Making crossovers like this seem a lot less special, which this is one of the last like real big special ones that there are, depending on what you think of Ready Player One, which we don't mm. think a lot here, I know, from two of us. But uh, I, I think Wreck-It Ralph is a great self-contained film. It really is. And I wanted to see more yeah. of it. Sad that I didn't. Yeah. And fun for adults. Yeah. It's another one of these where it's like, are kids even going to enjoy this? Or are they just, well, they get it on a different level than I do. All but your, as a all your kids are adult, watching. I had so much fun. Are watching YouTube videos about mostly people enjoying video games from every era. They are very familiar <laughs> with all these characters, where Mario's from. It's wonderful. There should be more movies set in a game universe like this, and I'm bummed that they're not. And this is the big mm-hmm. company that could have taken care of that, and they didn't. <sighs> Wreck-It Ralph, we all recommend. Still think it's a dope movie? Hell yeah. I recommend. Yeah. High recommend. High recommend. Yeah. On October 28th through November 3rd through television, World Series, baby, the San Francisco Giants. Giants beat the Detroit Tigers and my is this yeah. my reign of misery beginning? No, nah, like... this is towards the middle of the reign of misery because okay. you live not far from AT&T Park. I, I did. I didn't even know they were playing. And then all of a sudden, like, did everybody's horn break like right now? Like, oh, I should mm-hmm. probably stop playing whatever video game I'm yep. playing. See what the world is yeah. doing. Yeah, I I only lightly pay attention to baseball around the World Series if a local team is playing, except for this year in our year 2022 because the Phillies are playing Mm. and they're playing a Texas team, which means a bunch of Texans, especially politicians I don't especially care for, might be venturing into Philadelphia to watch a game. And Gritty needs to eat. (laughs) So if Ted Cruz disappears one night, it was Gritty and no one saw anything. Hell yeah. That would be amazing. I'm already making Bring your D-cells. Look, if your town doesn't have to grease up light poles to stop people from climbing them, are you even in a town? <laughs> Which the Philly fans are so tenacious, it didn't. They still climbed the greased poles. <laughs> they still do it. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> he did it. So out this week is Fanboy and Chum. That ends on Nickelodeon. Uh, series finale. Don't know the Never show. Avoid of it. Uh, so... Fans of all things science fiction wear wild superhero costumes with their underwear on their outside. They have adventures. There That's all is. I got. Come on. There it is. And uh, also out this week is a very venture Halloween. I think one of several specials they got. Can't remember. Yeah, it is a special because it takes place in between the three-month period of How Clean Is Your Clean Suit. <laughs> my yep. favorite name This ever. is a mequel. Yes. It takes place in one episode the first episode of season season five. And this is the only Venture Brothers media we get in all of 2012. Yes. 
because yeah. we don't get an episode for, from 2010 to 2013. And like I was teasing earlier with HBO Max, they said Venture Brothers would live on on HBO Max. I believe mm-hmm. Jackson Public or Doc Hammer took a picture of a script, put it on an Instagram. I guarantee that's not happening now. Adventure Brothers I, is over. I uh, have heard nothing you said. Everything just kind of went through my ears. Oh, and okay. I refuse to acknowledge Stay that. Say positive. It's also the introduction of one, the character Ben, former friend of uh, Daddy's Venture's dad who lives oh, on the property, right. and he shows them the mass grave. The first season, they weren't like the Venture Brothers die, and they make you think the Venture Brothers are dead, and then reveal they're just, they're always dying, and that's why the dad keeps yeah. clones around. They're clones, and they keep going through clone after clone after clone. But this is the episode where Dean learns that they are clones. And at the, after the end credits, Dean gets together with Hank, and you think that he is going to tell his brother the truth. And instead, he says, beer tastes like pee-pee. <laughs> <laughs> I know this isn't doing a... We're not selling the Venture Brothers a lot, but I, for us, oh, we're enjoying the, ourselves. I want... This is a huge so recommend. Anyone who has not seen the Venture Brothers, go watch it. Some of the most amazing drama that is approaching the 20-year mark now. Mm-hmm. And... God, yeah. it, One of my top 10 favorite shows of all time period yeah, it's very good yeah i'll go there yeah. at Me this too. moment i would say i would be more excited about another season of the venture brothers than any tv show other than firefly yeah any 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 yeah. any learning what like which shoes a star wars character bought over the course of seven seasons and then reintroduce a younger version of a previous character yeah i'm tired of the yeah. formula give me more venture give, yeah. move on with venture brothers yes yeah i wish venture brothers had done a little bit more with halloween because they have dr orpheus there Mm-hmm. Who's you know like a Doctor Strange type character? They raised and, the zombies here. Yeah, they raised wanting, the zombies. Diana? I know. I'm saying I want more episodes like that because I love Doctor Orpheus so much, and his first appearance brought in a term that I use a lot around Halloween. Of mm. he must be a Dracula. He's got a Dracula trophy and everything, <laughs> and that's what you call the medallion that bad vampires wear. That's a Dracula trophy. But could we throw in a quick flashback to Wreck It Ralph? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, I do want to say that Wreck-It Ralph has probably my favorite line of 2012 in it. Okay. I'm going to beat the billing out of you! Aha! You wouldn't hit a guy with glasses, would you? Aha! You hit a guy with glasses. That's, that's well played. <gasps> <laughs> you wouldn't hit a guy with glasses, would you? And then he hits him with a pair of glasses. I crack up with glasses. (laughs) With glasses. Like he takes the glasses and bops him on the head with the glasses. That cracks me up every single time. That's so good. Um, and then so, uh, did Christmas Story two come to TV first, or was it? I thought it was so straight yes, to video. A Christmas yeah, Story two mm-hmm. came for TV. This Chris is the version. Carter. This is the version where Ralphie is a teenager. Yes, and this one has no reason to exist. It's it's Ralph. I mean, like his main thing is like I just want to buy a car. It's got no Glenn Shepard. Daniel Stern is his dad, right? And it's just like yeah. a kind of inhuman. 
part of the charm of the original Christmas story is, you know, they're shooting in old locations, but it like it looks whatever from like from whatever era they're trying to present. 1941 is when it was set. This right is so over CG'd and crane shotted. Christmas story feels much older than it is. It's 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 a movie made Sorry, within World my lifetime. World War II is what I meant to say. It's it's set mm. right before World War II. And I'm way more trepidatious about whatever HBO Max is putting out with the Peter or what's his name. I think they're calling it a Christmas story too because they're just like no one in God's green earth has the slightest memory of the Christmas Story 2 from 2012. And this is they don't have any idea about the 1994 Christmas Story 2, which no. changed its name from a summer story to, like, these are my fam... What was it called? All, All in the Family? It has some weird, like, generic title, but it actually has Glenn Shepard narrating Kieran Culkin playing Ralphie. And he's obsessed with tops. It's a very good movie. Anyway, and then this uh, one is not. I do it not really recommend isn't. it. No charm, no warmth. Dave made no me memorable watch it, sure. lines, no characters. And you know, buying a BB gun is one thing. Parents in 1940 did not buy their children cars unless oh. they were like super wealthy. That is not a gift you gave to your teenager and didn't in the 90s you were if you were me. A character that's had many great special Christmas moments, SpongeBob. It's a SpongeBob Christmas is here. For <laughs> it's us. Mm. November 3rd. <laughs> yep, yep, it's 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 coming and it's not going to stop. So the plot is that the little worm-looking guy adds jerk juice to fruitcake. Plankton? Sponge I don't know. <laughs> I am not a SpongeBob guy. SpongeBob is such a naturally cheerful person that the jerk juice doesn't do anything for him, but then he gives it out to everyone else because he's being a nice guy and he wants to share this delicious fruitcake. And then everyone in town becomes a jerk. And then Santa comes and gives everyone coal. And that leads <laughs> to SpongeBob singing this heartwarming song with a message we should all take to heart. Bring joy to the world, it's the thing to do. But the world does not revolve around you. Don't be a jerk. It's Christmas. I love that this is like Tom Kenny, the voice of SpongeBob, writing this stuff. He indulged in so many musical, like, idols like inviting them on like brian wilson does some spongebob stuff because yeah tom kinney i yeah great love that guy yeah you can probably stream this on paramount plus uh it's a spongebob christmas that's not even the first spongebob christmas special he has a couple he's been around for over 20 years it can happen video games of october 28th through the 3rd of november transformers prime the game on wii nintendo ds and 3ds I'll say no to this. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, there, there are some good Transformers games. They typically follow one of the movies and are on the major consoles. Assassin's Creed 3 arrives on PS3, Xbox uh, 360. I would. So have... this is set mm. in the American colonies, mm-hmm. which is not remotely as epic as, uh, you know, medieval Italy or Renaissance <laughs> Italy, I guess. Um, we didn't have as many really tall buildings to jump off. But they have. No. But you have trees. Yeah. And you can play Patunk against George Washington. Hell yeah. yeah. And then we also got, oh my God, have you guys, they delisted the Marvel vs. Capcom games. You've been dying for another uh, Marvel fighter? Too bad. Here's one from uh, Ubisoft where you waggle your way through, <laughs> through uh, battles in the Marvel Universe and Marvel Avengers Battle for Middle Earth for Connect. 
and then I think eventually Wii U. Not recommended. But if you have a copy, might be a collector's so, item. This is a god awful game. Mm -hmm. Okay, this is a horrible game. I don't know if you remember. There's an episode of The Simpsons where Bart plays one of those old games where it's like triangle, triangle, square, square. Oh crap! I won another life, and I have to keep playing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that I, I was on Steve's podcast ah, about the Wii U. Wii Universe. Wii Universe, mm -hmm. and we talked about this game, and I said. I felt exactly like Bart playing this game. I kept winning against my will. Let me and it die. kept letting me continue. <laughs> and I was just like, no, I want to die. <laughs> yes, I, I know the, I know the feeling because I've played the goddamn game. Still makes me mad to this day. And I'm sure it won't be available. So if you have a copy, I'm sure you can't find one anywhere but your own shelf. I love Okami HD coming out on PS3. That was the first real HDification after the Wii port that uh, went down kind of the same as the PS2. This makes sure the game will look and play flawless forever, and it still does. Very it's good game. gorgeous. I mm -hmm. wish more video games would play around with art styles. Mm -hmm. There are so many to choose from. This is basically Watercolors, the mm -hmm. game, Diana. Ooh. Mm -hmm. And it looks gorgeous. It's like a Zelda. You play as a Lady God Wolf and who can also yeah. draw Well, it's stuff. heavily on mm -hmm. Japanese mythology. Mm-hmm. And it's very much got that style. And it slowly bombed, but then picked up the pace as released on normal platforms. Most people know Amaterasu and Okami, as they should. And then lastly, Toy Story Mania, a game based off of one of my least favorite rides in the Disney theme parks. This baffles me that the <laughs> Disney Imagineers were like, copy everything about our major ride mm -hmm. and sell it for $60. Because this is like a one-to-one -one transfer of a Disney ride where you go around. That is a game. And, as a game. No, no. And, the, the Disney ride is a video game. That's why I don't like the ride. Yeah. The Disney ride, you ride around in your cart. You go to different screens. You shoot things at those screens with a little cannon. And that's the game. And guess what? That's also the home game. It's like the differences between the two. Neither are... of these should exist. <laughs> uh, like uh, okay. an odd My... hashtag for me. Keep mm -hmm. video screens out of theme park rides. There. For, yeah. for what it's worth, both my kids loved Toy Story Mania mm. at Disney World, so you it. may not be the demographic, Chris. Sure. Even though I was there when Toy Story came out, man. I was there day one. Day one, man. <laughs> I'm the original fan. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get all Ghostbusters fandom on the Toy Story franchise. <laughs> it's mine. There'll never be any women toys. Anyway, moving um, <laughs> on from uh, all that, we got to get out some plugs and tell you who died during this period, as well as a really fun quiz. You can play along with us about who who was born during this period. But before I let you go, I got to say, listen to Laser Time, Video Game Apocalypse, uh, in the middle of Spooktober still. Got one more spooky episode coming your way in celebration of Halloween. We have a bunch of Halloween bonus content, including a lot, a, a trio of Chucky podcasts about the Child's Play series. If you think Diane is the only one to bring up whatever happened to Baby Jane on a Laser Time podcast, you are incorrect. Somehow, in the course of talking about Child's Play and one of the most fun viewings I've had of something in a really unexpected viewings in a real long time, check it out there. Patreon.com slash Laser Time. Five bucks. Episodes of Sick of Star Wars, over 100 podcasts, movie commentaries. Thank you for your support. Diana, where can people find you at? They can find me on the Twitter at ListenerNerd, L-E-C-I-N-E-N-E-R-D, or follow the show at 302010podcast. That's 302010podcast. Next week, we got a banger. Mm. We got Die Hard on a Plane. 
we got maybe the best James Bond film ever? Question mark. It's really high up huh. there with me because yeah, finally no, I'm with you. James Bond is meeting his match, and his match is Javier Bardem with a bad die job. And if that weren't enough, we're going to talk about someone whose palms are sweaty, knees weak, arms are heavy, vomit on his sweater already, mom's spaghetti. <laughs> and if that wasn't enough, we're going to talk about Adam West in Batman, not playing Batman. Mm. <gasps> Ooh. And we are going to talk about the death of a major Sopranos character. Mm. Oh, all right. Am I going to feel weird about bowling ball bags from now on? Yes. Yes, you are. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we are going to talk about the first day and date release in all of video game history. Wow. It did take a minute, didn't it? Yeah, it turns out the internet's a bitch. Don't want to release a code out there when it's not available anywhere else. Die who died during this week, and I cannot believe how this person... Who died, Die? Well, in 1992, we lost Hal Roach, who was a hundred. A hundred. Outlived many a of the people hundred. he exploited and may have been a slave driver. May have been a literal slave driver at some point. Yeah, mm -hmm. well, because he's behind the R gang, this like the little rascal shorts. Yeah, and, pre, uh, pre any rights for children stuff. and employment. It's it. Yeah, threatened them, said I'm going to shoot your dog, that kind of thing. He he started in film in 1912. <laughs> okay, there's basically not a film industry that, but he did. And he lived to see Cool World. Not <laughs> he lived to see Cool World. It's <laughs> <laughs> amazing. Jesus. Then in 2002, I'll go with the older guy first. We lost Lonnie Donegan, who's 71. That's the king of skiffle music. Oh, that's not or, Jimmy Fallon, according to David Letterman? You know, what Letterman <laughs> always called Jimmy Fallon. I didn't know that was a real person. <laughs> no, it's a real person. He's a great singer. Of, uh, I mean, skiffle music is kind of what we think of like a, like a upbeat folk. I like skiffle music. Um, Beale started as a skiffle band. Oh. And then in 2002 is when we lost Jam Master Jay of Run DMC. He was only 37. His murder is technically unsolved. Two guys have been arrested for it, and they might go to trial next year. Maybe. I it just I looked into this. Uh, it made me just really depressed because, like, in a yeah that 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 year it looks like a drug deal. Something involving drugs, which by all right. accounts, Jam Master Jay was supplementing a low time in his income with, right. with some cocaine. Right, was not something he had been involved in like this whole time. No, but it also is like, what world were we living in where like Run DMC can't be touring and filling stadiums? Like even as like the a nostalgia act or something, like it's just so weird. And he was way younger than I thought he was. 37? I'm older yeah, than Jam were, Master Jay ever I, got to be? Yeah, they were kids, man, back in the day. Yeah, he was just around my whole fucking I life. I just didn't, I, it's, it's just shitty to think about. And uh, yep. yeah, that he couldn't make a, not being able to make a living in being Jam Master J seems fucking baffling to me. Uh, hopefully I think he had, uh, he had tax problems. Mm. It was just fucking taxes again. That will he, happen. He and George Lucas knew. God damn it. <laughs> well, with that out of the way, what, JR? It's time for the b -b -birthday, birthday quiz. quiz. Oh, birthday is a doodly doo. Ding-dong, doodly-doodly, ding-dong, doo. Turning 75, born October 29th, 1947, in Brooklyn, New York. That he is the year Roger Rabbit is set. You're welcome. Nice. <laughs> he has an older brother, Lauren, who is an actor, film producer, and screenwriter. <sighs> he was a conscientious objector during the Vietnam War and performed alternate service at Los Angeles County General Hospital. 
He began his acting career with an appearance on Bewitched. Wow, what? <laughs> um... In 1978, he was, at the time, the youngest person to win a Best Actor Oscar. Oh, God. Gotcha. Okay, we're going to keep going. Yeah, I, at the time, there at is the someone time. we're going to talk about in 2002 that finally beat that record. But that record, as the youngest Best Actor winner, held for a very long time. Correct. Mm. For our listeners at home, films of his we have directly talked about include Stand By Me, Down and Out in Beverly Hills, Richard Stakeout. Right. That is correct. Always... I was going to say the movie was Goodbye Girl, if that helps anybody. Yep. He, he's the youngest Oscar he winner? Was. time. He, he was, and he was for 30-something years for Goodbye Girl. He's wow. actually pretty young now. He's in his 20s. He gets beat by Adrian Brody. Adrian Brody's even younger. Oh, oh actor. Adrian Brody was 29 at the yep. pianist. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yep, talking about that soon. Oh, that'll be fun. Mm. Yay, Richard Dreyfuss, you are cool. I like anyone who's just super open about, like, their past problems. He's one of those guys that just like, yeah, I was I was an addict and a mess. I was driving around killing people. It was awful. <laughs> It was awful. Yeah. Okay, and my no, son's no, no. on Twitter embarrassing me. It's great. Oh, what's what's? Never mind. I'll look into it later. Yeah. Yay. Mm. I I thought he might be older than seventy five though. Nope. But yeah, okay. Not... Yay. It's so weird. Retro Dreyfus. Let's all go watch Jaws again. <laughs> I'll be watching Crippendorf's Tribe with Jr. Because that's our okay. favorite Richard Dreyfus film, as it is most of our listeners. They never get along with Diana. Thank you guys for listening. Tell your friends about the show. Keep on listening. Patreon.com slash LazerTime. Give us five bucks and we'll love you forever. How about we close out with some Harvest Moon by Neil Young? I don't sure. know that the video game I'm series good. was named after it, but it is like the original farm sim, relaxing, Animal Crossing-esque, like build your farm, tend to your garden, that kind of stuff. Harvest Moon. Yeah. It's always mm-hmm. reminding me. Yeah, and the song is so pleasant. It is. So relaxing. That's why I really think it has to have inspired the name of the game, because... It feels very similar. We'll close out with Neil Young's Harvest Moon. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll see you next week. Because I'm still in love with you. I want to see you.